Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with your WWE WrestleMania 38 Ultimate Preview. That's right, getting over is back, and it is that very special time of year where the road to WrestleMania ends and that means the getting over wrestling podcast is here to break down every single match across wwe's two night card for wrestlemania 38 just outside of dallas texas the silver king will be home this year vintage chris vanini our co-host will be on site live at wrestlemania in the crowd and i can tell you both of us are excited to discuss the show today uh, and what our expectations are going into WrestleMania, what we think is going to happen on the show, and really the fallout and what it's going to mean for WWE going forward. So if you can't tell already, this is going to be an absolutely jam-packed edition of your favorite wrestling podcast, Getting Over. And I would be remiss if I started any episode, especially a major, huge, stupendous episode such as this one, without reminding you that this podcast getting over so do not forget folks stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me go back to being marks for the silver king adam silverstein for vintage chris vanini head on over to apple Podcasts and spotify hit that five star rating tell people we are a five-star podcast and on apple also leave a review to let people know specifically what you love about this show. Is it the big meaty men slapping meat references? Is it our interviews, our instant analysis and ultimate previews of pay-per-views, or just the way we banter back and forth? Whatever it is, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and do not forget to hit those five-star buttons. It literally takes two seconds to hit that five-star on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and they help us immensely when it comes to rankings and listeners and downloads and all those key metrics that are so important to us. Also, this week, more than any week, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only on that account do we tweet live during the major wrestling shows, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, uh, AEW, Dynamite, Rampage, I tape. So no, I don't tweet live during that late Friday night. I need to have some type of life. But not only do we tweet live during those shows, we post polls, we accept uh, DM slides, questions, from you guys that we read on the show. We love hearing your comments and your feedback. We also send out polls ahead of major pay-per-views to hear your expectation grades so we can comment about them on the show. And we send out polls after the events are over as well. That way we can get your post-show grades. But we also offer live shows for free on Twitter spaces. We usually do those as pre-shows before every pay-per-view, WWE and AEW. This week, we are going to have not one, not two, but three live pre-shows on Twitter Spaces. Two on Saturday for NXT Stand and Deliver and WrestleMania 38 Night 1 and one on Sunday. The times are not yet set in stone, but if you follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, I will will, uh, have reminders sent out. That way you guys will be able to subscribe to the reminders and get alerted when those shows go live. So again, last reminder here in the opener, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. Chris, before we get to this show and and Chris, I should really break it down for everyone. This is what's coming up on today's show. 
We have a main event. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly, both relatively short. And then we are going to get to our WWE WrestleMania 38 Ultimate Preview, absolutely loaded show ahead. Before we do get to that, I just want to quickly run down the rest of the week in terms of our podcast schedule. That way, everyone knows exactly what is going on. So here's the rest of the week. Obviously, this show is being published on Tuesday. This is our WrestleMania 38 Ultimate Preview. We're coming back tomorrow, Wednesday, for an NXT Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview. On Thursday, we will come back with an AEW show covering Dynamite and Rampage. On Friday, as of this moment, we do not have a show planned. However, if WWE does come through with a number of pre-WrestleMania interviews, I will package those together, give you guys a special show on Friday. On Saturday, we will have our WrestleMania 38 Night 1 Instant Analysis as soon as that show goes off the air. On Sunday, our WrestleMania 38 Night 2 Instant Analysis as soon as that show goes off the air. And one week from now, we will be back with our regular WWE show. We'll talk the night after WrestleMania and the WWE Hall of Fame, which has one of the smallest classes in its history, but also because of that, one of the best classes in its history. And I am actually, I don't think I've been excited, Chris, for a Hall of Fame ceremony in years, but I am legitimately excited to see what happens on this year's Hall of Fame ceremony. Yeah, I, I, my, my brother's coming into town Friday and we're going to WrestleMania. We haven't yet figured out what we want to do Friday, Friday night. We might try WrestleCon. We might try one of the other shows going around here. But when you see that Hall of Fame class, that's something you kind of think about. Maybe we'll try to get home in time for it or something like that. Now, real quick, before we get into the main event and the rest of the show, if you are listening to this episode directly ahead of WrestleMania and you want to you know, cut out some of the filler and just get to the WrestleMania 38 Ultimate Preview, please do not forget to visit our episode page on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening to us on. We do have a full episode description with timestamps of every segment on the show. So if you need to skip the main event or the good, the bad, and the ugly, and just get to that WrestleMania preview, you will know exactly when that starts on the show. But Chris, with all of that out of the way, we're done uh, previewing the episode. We're done talking about scheduling for the week. It is officially time to begin the WWE WrestleMania 38 Ultimate Preview by sliding into the main event. And we do have a triple main event today, Chris. Uh, you know, the goal was not to have that, of course, but so much happened in the world of WWE that we absolutely need to talk about. None bigger, no single story bigger than Triple H finally opening up about his medical condition in a extended conversation with ESPN's Stephen A. Smith. Uh, the long and short of it is Paul Levesque called his in-ring career over at age 52 with a medical retirement. He made this announcement during that interview with Stephen A., as I discussed. And I do have to say, Stephen A. handled it pretty well, asking at least like half of the pertinent questions that we wanted to know as wrestling fans. And that's not a shot because it's a national platform and he's not a wrestling-focused interviewer. He's someone looking at it more from a general you know, media and sports entertainment type of landscape. To wrap up the interview, for those of you who did not hear it, which I can't you know, believe is many, uh, Paul said he got sick after SummerSlam. He thought he had COVID-19 despite being fully vaccinated, but he actually had viral pneumonia and that got worse and worse by the day. He coughed up blood. Turns out he had a 99% blockage of his Widowmaker artery, which was partially a genetic issue. He said he didn't have high blood pressure or cholesterol, so it completely came out of nowhere. He was told that 
basically his life was at the one yard line and he got really choked up speaking about obviously Stephanie and all his little girls. I think he has three girls. So he obviously had to medically retire mostly because he has a defibrillator in his chest and he's not completely recovered even now. He said he was comfortable with being retired, even though there were early plans for him to wrestle at WrestleMania. And while he's taken a big step back from work, he's still in the office and he's currently working in recruiting and developing talent for WWE, which could partially explain William Regal's release. It's not that they couldn't have both of them, but those are similar jobs to what they both would be doing. But that's really the breakdown. We can talk about his career in a moment, Chris, but obviously this was scary as hell, right? Um, As we all suspected, given how quiet they were being about it. And honestly, the only takeaway I have from it is it's great he's recovering. Uh, It's great that he's seemingly on his way back to whatever level of full health is possible for him at this stage. And he avoided, obviously, a catastrophe in his life um, and for his family. So all in all, I, I would call it a positive update, despite it being an exceptionally scary one. Yeah, obviously, we didn't know how bad it was at the time. They only said cardiac event. We wondered heart attack or something like that. Uh, clearly, it was potentially much, much worse based on how uh, close he came to potentially uh, dying. So thank God he's OK. Thank God he's you know still with his family. And, and it seems like he he will be. Um and, and yeah, as for his future, um, I, I, I don't know. I, we, we don't know how, you know, what level of stress impacts what he does. You know, being in charge of NXT was probably more stressful than even, you know, wrestling at the time. So he, he was a guy who was doing so much. And I, I think after this, after listening to him, you know, he understood how serious this was. He has things in perspective. I think he knows he's not going to push himself too far. Because this, this is a business where so many people push themselves too far all the time. Uh, so he seems to have the right perspective on everything. Just glad he's okay. And it was it was cool to see kind of all the, the tributes to, to him over the weekend. Everybody just kind of sharing their favorite Triple H in-ring memories. And uh, yeah, you know, not long after we lost Scott Hall, pretty young relatively, it's, it's good to know we didn't lose Triple H as well. Yeah, and imagine being in his shoes... Uh, now, granted, the situations are completely different, um, you know, how Scott Hall died and, and why, right. um, both from a, a past perspective in terms of his drug abuse and alcohol abuse, as he's certainly um, opened up about publicly, uh, but also the way in which he passed away. Those very different than what happened to Triple H. But imagine being Triple H, being that close and then, you know, surviving it. And then four or five, six months later, seeing one of your best friends um, succumb. It, I mean, I can't even imagine what his mental space has been like recently. And for him to go on uh, and do an interview like that, you know, it was really difficult. And I'm just really pleased that he was able to express that publicly and, and clear up a lot of things for people who I think you could tell after they weren't morbidly curious. They were legitimately curious. Like we we all were concerned. Yeah. Um, and this is don't forget Triple H, Paul Levesque. He's a guy who during a portion of his career, we're going to talk about that career in a moment but was hated by the IWC, by the Smarks, uh, because he buried talent and he put himself over and all that type of stuff. Talk about someone who's completely revitalized their reputation uh, through the creation of NXT, uh, propping up women's wrestling, um, developing some of the best moments in WWE history over the last 20 years, uh, not including himself in the ring. Uh, So it's just been a total turnaround from him. Uh, But even beyond that, as a person, as a family man, it is really... 
um, heartening, I guess is the best word to hear that he's doing better. And, and, you know, that's certainly exciting, um, that he could be back to whatever level of full health is possible for him, hopefully sooner than later. But regarding this man's career, because he is officially retired at age 52, which, you know, in the past you would say, okay, that makes sense. But these days in WWE, you'd think, oh, he still has five years left, you know, where he can wrestle. Uh, but we got, we got 62, 63 year old Sting out there jumping off into tables on AEW. Sure, but Sting also took like a decade off, you know, for the most part. Also true, also true. But um, anyway, so Triple H, Paul Levesque, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, famously trained by Killer Kowalski. He was a 14-time world champion, five-time intercontinental champion, two-time European champion, three-time tag team champion, the 1997 King of the Ring, a two-time Royal Rumble winner, the seventh Triple Crown and second Grand Slam champion in WWE history, and already a Hall of Famer with Degeneration X. Not to mention, he had one of the best pun wrestling names of all time, Terra Rising, which <laughs> someone should take now that he is officially retired. But then, Chris, on top of the accolades I just read you, consider DX is one of the greatest factions of all time. Evolution is on that list as well. He was the leader of both. Not to mention the fact that in addition to his accomplishments, he was frequently the B-side for Steve Austin, The Rock, Mick Foley, The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels. There is no way to look at Triple H's career other than to say he is among the greatest of all time. And I'm not saying Mount Rushmore. He's not a top four guy. But his accomplishments and his longevity cannot and should not be diminished. He is someone who I put on a very similar level to a Chris Jericho. I'd probably put Chris above Triple H, but when you look at those two guys, they're people who reinvented their careers, contributed to the business beyond what they did in the ring, expert level promos, great in-ring performers, really had the entire package. And this guy has had so many incredible moments. If we start getting into them, we're gonna talk for two hours. I wish we had enough time right here, Chris, to do an entire career retrospective. We just don't. But I did think it was worth kind of breaking down how much of a monster this guy was in the industry in a very positive way. Yeah, he he's not on a Mount Rushmore, but he is one of the greatest heels of all time. I, I think there's no doubt about that. When you think of guys who sustained at that heel level for decades, I, I know there were face moments in there and people love DX, but you know, think about it. In 2000, DX was a heel faction. Like, mm-hmm. like, th- like it, that's kind of wild to think about considering how much they were fan favorites. But this guy, when Sean, when, when Sean Michaels retired and he took the, he literally said he was take, taking the ball himself and took everything to another level, helped take the company to another level. Everybody talks about rock and Austin and yes, they carried the company forward to, to levels that had never seen before. But triple H was often the foil in that. You know, he 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 won. He I think he was the first heel to ever win the main event of WrestleMania, which he did in 2000. So a remarkable in-ring career there. And then, like you said, reinventing himself from DX to evolution to the authority. Uh, This guy just really he all you know, that mid 2000s reign of terror run was bad. But after that, he really got a feel for what the crowd wanted. And that's what the authority was. That's what NXT was. That's what putting Dana Bryan over was. And he really just kind of had his finger on the pulse of wrestling. And I think 
him being gone, WWE has has missed that recently. Him, him not being in the in the same role. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, legend, first ballot Hall of Famer, and again, I think one of the greatest heels and one of the greatest minds of all time. Absolutely. The other huge news that we need to discuss is that the Steiner brothers are going to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. And this is truly one of the biggest shockers in history in terms of Hall of Fame inductions. Not that Hall of Fame inductions can really be that shocking. I mean, these days it would have to be like, you know, 20 years from now, WWE inducting Tony Khan or something like that. But (laughs) given the way Scott Steiner has talked about WWE, Vince McMahon, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon over the years, I think he was even banned from attending the Hall of Fame a few years back. But obviously, as a tag team and as wrestlers, the Steiner brothers are extremely well-deserving. Combined, they had a WCW World Heavyweight Championship, obviously, for Scott, five TV titles, nine tag team titles between NWA, WCW, and WWE. I would never say, Chris, that they were my favorite tag team exactly, but when you thought of tag team wrestling, they were one of those first teams that came into your mind in the 1990s. It was like them, Legion of Doom. Those were like, when you said tag team wrestling, Mm -hmm. those were the two teams I thought of. Um, If if I was thinking WCW, I'd think like Harlem Heat, you know, as well. Uh, But more than anything, I cannot wait to see what Scott does with a live microphone and them getting inducted one night before Rick's son and Scott's nephew likely regains the NXT championship. That's going to create a really cool weekend for the family. And I know a lot of us who are Braun Breaker fans are obsessed with how terrible his name is. And it is absolutely terrible. It's very clear they're going the Roman Reigns direction, but it's somehow far worse than Roman Reigns ever was in terms of a name. But it would really be nice for me if them all being there and Braun winning the title, they were able to do something where they allowed him to start using the Steiner name because he really should be leaning into that family lineage. But I digress. The real point of this is the Steiner brothers being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Excited for them. I think it's going to be a great moment and a huge addition to a class that already includes the Undertaker and Vader. I mean, Undertaker, Vader, Steiner brothers, all people who are clear-cut Hall of Famers. There's no, you know, second thoughts about this like there are for some inductees in the past. This might be the meatiest Hall of Fame class of all time, right? True, yeah. Got at least, at least per capita. Uh, <laughs> per I think capita. Definitely good. Pound, it's definitely Pound for there. pound, it is the meatiest. Yeah. I can tell you that. <laughs> that's, a better, that's a better way to put yeah. it. Um, per capita. So the, 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 the Steiner Brothers, you know, 80s, early 90s run uh, was before my time, so I, I, I caught up on it afterward. I got to say, as a Michigan State graduate, always seeing them in the Michigan wrestling jackets was mm-hmm. was was not great for me. Uh, but you know, you think about what they did in WCW and obviously the run that Scott ended up having as a singles uh, wrestler. It, it, it's great that they're they're in. I, like you said, I'm shocked this happened and it happened so quickly. There were reports that I think Sid Vicious might go in at one point, but I, I assume it's done now. The Steiners, boom, out of nowhere, Steiner Brothers are pushing Braun Breaker everywhere. Like, I, I, I hate the name, but I love Braun Breaker. This dude is going to be a star. And it's good. It's very important that you're on good terms with both Steiners in that case, because I know Rick was there when 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 Braun won the title the first time. So, yeah, this is great. Steiner, Steiner, recliner, all that stuff. Awesome tag team. Uh, very well much deserved. For sure. And speaking of well-deserved, 
Uh, we also learned over the last week that Shad Gaspard is going to be honored as the Warrior Award winner this year at the WWE Hall of Fame. Shad and JTG were only in WWE for parts of five years as crime time. And while the gimmick, looking, especially looking back on it, was definitely uh, stereotypical, I guess is the best way that I can uh, say that, uh, it was over as hell with the fans, especially when they teamed up with John Cena. In the later part of his life, he was actually an actor, Shad, and his last film was Birds of Prey, the Harley Quinn movie, uh, which was really cool to see him in that. But even beyond what they did in the ring and even beyond his work as an actor, the clip of him that will be viewed and remembered more than anything else is of Shad and MVP celebrating and crying together at a restaurant when Kofi Kingston won the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 35. And I did get a chance to talk to MVP about that. It was such an emotional story that he told that was not supposed to be shared publicly on social media. It was um, done without their permission, but obviously fans responded to it in such a real way because it was real emotion and it really helped convey the true importance of that moment in terms of representation for an entire community of wrestling fans. But Shad is not getting the Warrior Award for any of those things. He's getting it because of his character. That included stopping an armed robbery at a gas station in 2016, which just so happened to be, by the way, 30 minutes from my house. But even more notably, saving his son's life when they were caught in a riptide out in Venice Beach in 2020. He got pulled under the current and he drowned at age 39. So just an incredibly sad story back a couple of years ago. I think everyone wishes that they didn't take two years to honor him and they had done it last year. But this is going to be a really touching moment on Friday night. And like I said, certainly a deserving winner and honestly, the type of person who this award should be named after, not the one who it currently is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was not I was out of wrestling at the time he was uh, in WWE, so I wasn't totally familiar with that. But I remember when he uh, passed away and, and all the the stories and comments and everything that came out of it. So it, it, it's great that they're doing this. I, I do like the concept of the warrior award and what they do with it and this is the exact type of thing uh it's for obviously wish it wasn't posthumously uh would like it to be named after somebody else but this is obviously a a, a really nice decision by wwe and in a, a good uh platform to remind everybody of of shad and, and what he did and uh what he meant to people and make sure that uh you know people don't forget yeah absolutely and, and you know with the hall of fame recently especially with the way my schedule's been, I have not made it a priority to watch it live. Like during WrestleMania week, I usually catch it after. And, and the shows are really long too, especially when they didn't air them on TV. Um, they're like, some of them are like five hours long on the WWE Network. This Hall of Fame ceremony, I guarantee you when SmackDown is over Friday, I am switching directly to Peacock and I am watching this thing live. There's no way I'm missing this. Mm -hmm. You know, just as simple as that. And, you know, Shad is a very significant part of it. Um, but The Undertaker... Um, Vader and the Steiner brothers as well. Fans of every single person being inducted into the Hall of Fame this year and being honored with the Warrior Award. And I am kind of curious as well to see the way WWE puts the whole thing together, schedules it, how much of the SmackDown audience stays. It's going to be pretty late, even though, you know, it is central time. I, I am kind of just curious to see how the whole thing unfolds. Uh, but it is going to be, I think it's going to be a very emotional night. And the fact, by the way, that Vince McMahon is going to induct The Undertaker, which I don't even know that's something we've discussed, but that just creates a whole nother level of me not knowing what to expect from this show. So, you know, WWE, I will say uh, for the first time in a long time, they've built up the Hall of Fame into something that 
feels like the Hall of Fame, which it doesn't always feel that way. Yeah, and it kind of came together kind of late. I mean, we talked for a while if, if The Undertaker was going to be the only one. They used to announce names back in even December in, in some years. We, oh, yeah. We don't know of any legacy inductees this year, but uh, you know, the WWE Hall of Fame has become a very big deal. There are obviously a lot of different wrestling Hall of Fames, but with, with the work WWE has done to add with, with, the, with those legacy inductees, they're trying to be the wrestling Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and that makes it matter and and you wonder one day if they'll open a, a physical hall of fame i think it'd be cool at some point but uh yeah this year's is definitely one gonna want to watch if i don't see it live i'll definitely try to catch it uh, as quickly as i can yeah especially when you know how much stuff they have in their warehouse they could easily open a physical hall of fame in orlando um and it would be pretty awesome but okay look that is the main event we have a lot of show left the wwe wrestlemania 38 ultimate preview is still to come but very quickly we do need to do a segment for a certain reason you're going to figure it out in a moment. And that is the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, so this is like a three-part, hopefully super quick edition of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Chris, before we get into those parts, a real quick review of Raw and SmackDown. We usually do it to open the show. We didn't do it today. This is what I'm going to say. The first 90 minutes of Raw were super strong. The second half, it fell off. It wasn't bad, but it did fall off a little bit. SmackDown, on the other hand, for the second time in three weeks, I thought was absolutely awful. Just want to know if you agree with that or not. Yes. And SmackDown being in Brooklyn, like I, I was surprised that they gave it such a lackadaisical effort. Brooklyn on the road to WrestleMania, and yet. Yeah, not much. Yeah, and, and again, two times out of the last three weeks. And this is the final month of the road to WrestleMania. Uh, obviously, this next show is going to be the last show, this final SmackDown. I just couldn't believe how poor it was booked. And to it, it, to show you the, the episode between the, of the last three, the episode in the middle, the cream center of those three episodes was a, a fine, good, you know, road to WrestleMania episode. But the the, the cookie parts, the, the, uh, the bookends of it, were just so demoralizing and they really hurt my interest in WrestleMania for me watching those shows. Uh, so let's talk about a couple of reasons why that is the case. But first, uh, on Raw, Reggie got on one knee. He had a ring, and, but never actually asked Dana Brooke to marry him. She said yes anyway and took the ring. Tamina tried to take advantage to win the 24-7 title. Reggie broke up the pinfall. Akira Tozawa then proposed to Tamina and she accepted. R-Truth and a referee watched on with binoculars. I guess they're going to have him take advantage and do a title change at WrestleMania. Maybe they're going to do a wedding ceremony on one of the kickoff shows, or maybe they do it on Raw. I don't know what they're doing. This is just, it's gotten, it it went from like occasionally funny, but a waste of time to now almost never funny and a waste of time. It's bad. They got to get rid of this and take it off my television. I'm done. They have to retire the 24-7 title. It's a waste of time. It doesn't even involve the title, but for taking what, two minutes on my screen. I actually thought it was kind of funny for those two minutes. I don't know what it's going to be. We don't need to talk about it anymore. I even debated that we didn't even need to talk about it on this episode because of everything we have to talk we didn't about. Need but, to, we didn't need to talk about go. it on the episode, Chris, but I did <laughs> need to talk about something else. This yes. is the real reason we're having this. Segment. Here we go. <clears throat> and I, I got to say, you know, I don't even, oh my God. All right. So on SmackDown, we had Ricochet, the Intercontinental Champion, facing Angel Garza in a non-title match. 
And apparently the championship contender match is back, even though it's been gone for months and they haven't used it for anything. The ring announcer screwed up twice. She was supposed to say Angel was in the match. Instead, she said Angel was accompanying Umbando or something like that. She didn't even say Umberto properly. Meanwhile, it's Garza in the match. Rick hits a springboard elbow drop, gets distracted by Umberto, and lost in two minutes via roll-up. So not just lost in two minutes, lost via roll-up. Then he grabs a mic and demands Creo fight him. So we get Ricochet against Umberto in a non-title match. Pat McAfee on commentary is like, well, is this a championship contenders match also? Michael Cole had like didn't know how to answer him. I thought it was a great question. Uh, who the hell knows what makes one and what doesn't? They go to commercial. They come back from commercial. W sa- WWE says it is a championship contenders match. At least we knew. Rick hit a springboard hurricanrana and a springboard moonsault. Angel distracted and Rick nearly got rolled up. He had a fisherman suplex rolled into a vertical suplex for a near fall. Angel purred, pulled Umberto away from a high risk move. So Ricochet splashed him and Angel crawled under the ring apron. Ricochet hit a tornado DDT uh, off the desk, the announce desk. And then Angel held his leg as he tried to re-enter the ring for a countout loss in seven minutes. Chris, I wish I was done here. I wish I had nothing else to say, but there's more. Because on Raw, we had Ricochet against Austin Theory in a non-title match. Somehow, not a championship contenders match like the other two were, but a non-title match. So they have this match for absolutely no reason. Literally, no fucking reason this was on TV. Theory beats the Intercontinental Champion, who has now lost, Chris, three matches in four days with ATL in two minutes. It was literally a squash. And I was just truly, truly speechless. When I tell you that I sat on my couch absolutely disgusted at the entire segment on Friday, I am not exaggerating. I was literally in disbelief. That was topped in nearly every way possible by Monday's booking. This is your brand new champion, a fan favorite, who you got over, by the way, on his road to winning the championship. You made him into someone the fans want to root for. And then you have him lose three times in less than 12 total minutes to both halves of a low-card tag team and a guy who isn't even on the brand. It would be one thing if he fought all three of these guys and beat them in short matches, or he lost to one and they set up an intercontinental championship match. That's entertaining. It's building your champion. Those are good things. This was nonsensical bullshit, Chris, and the worst booking that WWE has done in 2022. They did this to set up a triple threat match on the go-home SmackDown and then give Theory a win before Mania. Look, I'm sure the triple threat Friday on SmackDown will be good in ring, given they're great wrestlers. I actually think they're probably going to give it a good amount of time as well. And I'm sure Ricochet will retain the title. But that does not excuse this entire thing from being ugly as sin. And the Theory booking in particular, totally unnecessary. The Intercontinental title has not been defended on a pay-per-view in a year. They can't find a spot on it for a two-night mania with two two two-hour-long kickoff shows. But this is how they treat a fan-favorite champion? Screw this entire thing. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissivity. Market zero. Go, it's talk. Ca- it, I, I got it, nothing else. I'm, 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 I'm played out. It's, 
it's truly unbelievable. And like, this is the WrestleMania preview. We do not need to go deep on Ricochet, but this is going to be the most passionate. We part should of be the going show deep on Ricochet because, because it's the WrestleMania preview and he's the Intercontinental Champion. That that comment you made about the rest, about Intercontinental Championship not being defended on pay per view in a year that is insane. Is that true? It hasn't been defended. I think. I think since last year's WrestleMania. Good lord! Like I thought. I thought the Intercontinental title couldn't get worse by being on Nakamura and never getting defended. This is worse. This this is worse. Don't de- don't defend the title. Don't lose. Holy crap! I, I like this is and this has nothing to do with Ricochet. You you love Ricochet. I think he could be a star. Clearly, WWE doesn't see it with him. But to do this to your Intercontinental Championship belt, which is pretty soon. Gonna be your number two belt in the company because at you're least about tem- to at unify. Least temporary, at least temporarily. You're, yeah, because you're about to unify the world championships. Like, holy crap, man. Like, how does that even get approved? How do you not have somebody else back? I know they've let a lot of wrestlers go. Surely there is somebody else backstage. There are. You can have Austin, that you can have Austin Theory beat he could on beat a Monday Night Drew Raw. Gulak or Mansoor or T-Bar. I mean, yeah. T-Bar would be impressive. Did, he's a big Jen, dude, yeah, right? Did, do gender. Yeah, I think he's on SmackDown, but whatever. Gender Mahal. Yes. Like, yes. like, holy crap, man. Like what? I just, there's nothing to say other than that is it, it's jaw dropping what they've done the last five days. with the Intercontinental There have been nine Intercontinental Championship defenses over the last um, 12 months from last year's WrestleMania to now. And you have to remember Sami Zayn was injured for or sorry, Shinsuke Nakamura was injured for a period of time. So that's why there weren't more. So nine is not a terrible number. All of them, 100% of them, have been defended on SmackDown. The last time it was defended on pay-per-view was WrestleMania 37. The time before that was Fastlane. And then before that, it wasn't defended on pay-per-view. So two pay-per-views total in 2021. Before those two, I'm uh, refreshing a page, so I'm going to stall a little bit. It had not been defended on pay-per-view until Clash of Champions 2000. So it's been defended on pay-per-view three total times. uh, 2020. Three total times since September 2020. Good lord, man! Like, and and, and they changed the lo- they changed the design of that. Like, yeah, man, the, the Intercontinental Championship has never been lower than this moment. I don't think it's ever been lower than this moment. Yeah, I think this is the lowest it's ever been. That's true. It's a shame. It, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, so yeah, ugly on that for me. I assume you agree. And yes. lastly, the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal is going to be held on the Go Home SmackDown for the second straight year. I'm fine with that. But get this. The notable names in the match, Chris, are Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Robert Roode. Only 17 people were shown in the graphic. So WWE changed the United States Championship and built a Balor-Priest feud, which seemed to be going well and destined for a WrestleMania match, maybe even with um, the Demon coming back, because Demon, Damian, whatever. And instead, they're having them in a battle royal on Friday night. They're putting a champion in a battle royal. This match being on SmackDown is fine, but it's absolutely absurd that Balor and Priest are in it. And I got to come back to it. This, not as bad as the Ricochet booking, don't get me wrong, but this is ugly as hell as well. This is crap. Yes. I, again, this is about to be your number two championship on Raw. <laughs> number two, potentially number two in the company. I mean, it already is number two on Raw. And yeah, Finn freaking Balor, who you know is a star and you've positioned him as that recently, 
Damian Priest, who was supposed to have gotten a big rub from Bad Bunny a year ago, is now and did in a, he did get a big rub from him? And he, and he did, and he did, and we and in the last month we thought his character was turning around, going in the right yeah. direction. Yeah, I look. I like the idea of having the Andre Battle Royal. I think they should do that every year. I also think because now this is a two night card, and because you've let a hundred wrestlers go, there's not much left. So. If you want to have Finn Balor and Damian Priest highlight your battle royal, I kind of get it, but you got to you got to take us on that journey there and not just start a feud, stop it and pop up a few weeks later and say it's a battle royal. Like you it's WrestleMania, you, you got to have better plans than that. Chris, this speaks to how poor the WrestleMania build has been handled, top to bottom. Think about this. WWE has four men's singles titles. Normally, in that case, you would get four matches on the biggest show of the year. That's what we got last year. We had four championship matches for the men's singles at WrestleMania. And the hope would be that two of them, at a minimum, would have super strong builds and the other two would have semi-strong builds that, you know, they put them together and they get challengers for the mid-card titles and there you go. Instead of four matches for four titles on WrestleMania this year, we have one match, one. They built Balor Priest and didn't put it on either night of Mania or the two-hour kickoff shows. They also changed the Intercontinental Championship to Ricochet and didn't come up with anything for him on either night of Mania or the two-hour kickoff shows. New Day was just added into a match at the last minute on Monday. How is it possible to be this brain dead creatively? How can WWE book a two-night WrestleMania with a limited roster, as you just said, and not put its champions on approximately 10 hours of pay-per-view time. Yes, I know it's possible they could still add Balor Priest. You know, they, they could they could at the end of the Battle Royal, you know, they cost each other the victory. They get into a, a fight, and by the end of SmackDown, they add it to Night 2. It's certainly possible that that, that, that can I'd happen. I'd love that. Okay? Yeah. But we're still talking to you right now, four days out from Mania. And it's not on the card. It's just absurd that, that this match isn't there. And it's absurd that out of four men's championships, singles championships, there is one match involving men's singles titles on, on a two-night, 10-hour, including the kickoff show pay-per-view. I, I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah. I, I, so I've only been to one WrestleMania. That was WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans. And almost every single match on that 14-match card was a title match. There were five men's singles title matches. There was a cruiserweight match, an Intercontinental Championship match that had Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, and The Miz. Mm -hmm. That's where the Intercontinental Championship used to be. Great now, match. Now this way. is where it is. Yes, there was a there was a United States Championship uh, match, which gender won. Uh, there was a WWE Championship, and there was a Universal Championship. So, yeah, this is... It, it, the, the, you know, J Jim Ross always liked to say, like, you have you have what you want at WrestleMania, and then you have to work backwards from there, and you figure out how to get to where you want to get to. A lot of this card, and we'll get into it here in a minute, feels like they didn't know where they were going to go. They had to make some late changes. Certain people weren't available. Sure, but it, it felt like they didn't really know what they wanted to do. You know, every week they came up with a new idea and decided to do something. And by the way, that Cruiserweight Championship you mentioned, that was Cedric Alexander and Mustafa Ali. That was an absolute yep. banger it was. of a match. The Intercontinental Championship match 
was really good. The U.S. Championship, I think, it was like a fatal four-way, but I mm-hmm. don't remember yep. it necessarily being good or bad. You know, I just remember, I just remember everybody wanted Rusev to win. There were massive Rusev Day chants yes, all throughout New Orleans. English. Right? Yeah, right. all throughout New Orleans that week, and uh, very dis- everybody was very. That's the one that Orton went in as champion, and I think and gender yes. one, like you said, yeah, yes, okay, yeah. Now that now I remember, but but even on that show, right? So I, the best men's singles match on that show, or not singles match, but title match. I think was actually the Intercontinental Championship match because Lesnar reigns, you know, was objected uh, against by all the entire crowd. AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura, they had the low blow, right, mm-hmm. in that match. Um, and like we said, the US one wasn't that special, but all of them were on the card. Mm-hmm. And it's just to look at this and to say, how could you not have storylines for Finn freaking Balor? This guy is so over. You can't figure out a way to make sure this guy gets on the card. I mean, they could have run an angle last night and added it. They added they added matches last night to the card. Why couldn't they have added the United States Championship? Unless yeah. someone's I, hurt, it doesn't make any sense to me. But they're they're in the battle royal, so I'm flabbergasted by it, dude. I just it, it felt it felt like they needed stuff to fill SmackDown. I I, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, but so you do the battle royal without them. You know what I mean? Well, that, that, but I don't even know how many people you have left then at that point. Yeah, it's like all low card dudes. It's, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's a tough spot. I just the planning should have been better. You, you could have built up the Andre Battle Royal as the Finn Balor or Damian Priest spit. Have them for a couple weeks saying, "I'm going to win," or Damian Priest says, "I'm going to win," and then I'm coming for your title. Like, sure, make that the story going make, into the Battle Royal. How about how about you leave Finn Balor out of the match and you make the match? The winner gets to choose. Uh, to face either Ricochet or Finn Balor for their championship at WrestleMania. Sure. Yeah. There's so many things you can do. And it's just wrestling provides you so many stakes. You can, you can create them on a whim. You can have a title match. You can have a contenders match. You can have uh, a tournament. You get so many of these things are, they're purely story based on this card and zero stakes to a lot of it. It's, it's, it's weird. It is indeed weird. Uh, it is now time, Chris. The time has come. The time is now, as John Cena would say, uh, to get into our WWE WrestleMania 38 Ultimate Preview. And if anyone is listening to the show for the first time, well, first of all, enjoy, I hope you enjoyed the rant on Ricochet. That does not happen every episode. Um, but look, this is the way these uh, Ultimate Previews work for pay-per-views. Uh, we sit and we break down the entire card from the low card to the main event, in this case, because it's two nights. We'll do night one first, and then we'll do night two. Uh, and then at the end, Chris and I will give our pre-show expectation grades. All of that leads into Saturday and Sunday when we allow you all, our listeners and followers on Twitter, to give us your pre-show expectation grades. We will do our instant analysis and we'll provide our post-show grades at the end of those shows. So it all wraps up together in a really nice uh, package. But the entire thing, Chris, starts with the ultimate preview. And we need to begin, of course, with night one, given it's a two-night show. We're certainly not going to start with night two. And I believe the way things break down right now is that night one has eight matches and night two has seven. So currently there are 15 combined matches slash segments set for WrestleMania, certainly with the possibility, yes, that Finn Balor, Damian Priest gets added to night two. I could see it. We can maybe briefly discuss it at the beginning of night two in case it happens, but we don't need to get too deep into it because we have an absolute 
ton to talk about across these 15 segments. So Chris, let's get it started with night one. Uh, New Day is going to face Sheamus and Ridge Holland in a tag team match. It's going to be Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston. So on SmackDown, we had Woods against Holland. And I was pissed last week that they already brought Woods back at house shows and didn't have him return on TV in what was an obvious spot to do so last week. Then this week, they advertised a Kofi versus Holland rematch only for the ring announcer when she was announcing Kofi to say, accompanied by Xavier Woods or King Woods when he wasn't coming out with him. That wasn't the plan. So Kofi comes out and you can tell he's bothered by the screw up because he's supposed to surprise the heels by bringing Woods back to fight Holland in the match. So he announces Woods. Xavier gets a nice response. The bell rings. Woods wins via inside cradle in, I think, 45 seconds. All of the matches, except for like the main events of both shows, were super short this week. This whole thing was just, I I was speechless at how they completely botched it and gave us something so inane without even a shred of excitement. So regarding SmackDown, I just want to toss it from my memory because it was so terrible. In terms of the pay-per-view, I don't see any way that Big E shoot broke his neck and they have the heels beat New Day on this show. I have to imagine that New Day beats Sheamus and Holland. Yeah, same. Look, again, this is another one where I don't know. It was weird to go so long without a clear plan for New Day. Big E was kind of directionless. But hey, we were going to get you were going to get a New Day six man tag and you were going to have Pete Dunne in it. And it was going to be it would have been the original ultimate plan there, I think would have been perfectly fine. Absolutely. Yes. You, you take out Biggie gets hurt. You, you have the weird King Wood stuff. It, it's, it's been a real, real mess to get here. And this goes back to Ridge Holland getting hurt by Ricochet too. It's been a rough uh, go for this feud and these, these people involved picking new day. Don't think it'll get much. I don't think it'll get a ton of time, but Hey, you let new day come out to uh, do their dance you know, get people excited in and out. Not much going on there. Yeah. And look, I don't know if Biggie can travel. I would assume he won't, but man, it would be cool to see him walk down with them. Right. You know, that, 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 that that's the other thing to think. Like if, if he can walk with a neck brace, whatever, obviously you'd love for him to be there. And yeah, that would be really cool. He'd get a great ovation and maybe he even hand someone a chair at some point or, or, you know, something happens like that, but it would be cool to see him. But, you know, obviously our wishes for a speedy recovery for Biggie, this match, it's making the best out of an awful scenario. And and you're right. The six man, it wouldn't have been like our most exciting match, right? Because we would have wished that Big E was in a title match, right? Um, or that these guys were involved in a tag team title match or whatever the case. But a six man involving the all three of the group against three really good wrestlers or two really good wrestlers and Sheamus and Pete Dunn and, and one guy who's still kind of, you know, up and coming in Ridge Holland, it would have been a totally fine WrestleMania match. There, there have been far less important WrestleMania matches in the past instead of that's getting, the other thing like yeah I like I, I like I Ridge Holland being in this makes sense but I really wish this was Pete Dunne in it really should be Pete instead Dunne I know he's butch and it's weird but like ugh, if this was Sheamus and Pete Dunne this could end up I think could be a really really it should be a banger of a match but now it's probably not going to be it's going to be far less so certainly without with Holland in it instead of Dunne absolutely uh, staying with the low card on uh, night one, the Mysterios are going to fight the Miz and Logan Paul in a tag team match 
On Raw, Rey Mysterio and The Miz had a singles match. Lucha Logan wore Rey's stolen mask to the ring. Miz promised to steal another one. Dominic ran down and attacked Miz only to get tossed from ringside. Rey caught Miz in a pinning combination for the win in six minutes. Uh, the problem is that four minutes of the six-minute match were all during commercial. So we saw like 120 seconds of wrestling. Logan escaped a double 619, but Ray stole his mask back. Then Miz ate a double 619 and two frog splashes. I know Logan is the draw in the match and we want to see him get beat up as fans. That's the whole point. But it felt like they gave away most of the match here with Miz taking all the finishers. It just seemed like it was unnecessary to kind of do this, especially with the two big names, Ray Mysterio and The Miz, when they're the ones that are really dragging this entire thing along. So I didn't love the booking necessarily. We're in another situation though, where I just don't see why they would have the heels win. You have Miz there ready to take the fall. Uh, Certainly Logan Paul doesn't need to beat the Mysterios. Um, He said his goal, Logan, in interviews was to do a move off the top rope. I'm sure he'll get the opportunity to do that. But the Mysterios win, fans go home happy. And I just, I hope that Logan Paul's good in the ring. That's really my only takeaway here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Logan Paul's there to do something crazy and to get beat up at the end. I I mean, that's kind of what it's for. Like like you said, the the match on Raw, it it felt like Rey Rey Mysterio's getting all of his anger out on The Miz for the mask stealing. And I was like... How much do we really need to do this? Do the tag team match now? Because, like you said, we're kind of just getting it all out now. Uh, you know, so it, it it was what it was. But yeah, this match, I obviously don't expect much. I don't expect Logan Paul to weirdly. I don't expect Logan Paul to be on the wrestling level of Bad Bunny, <laughs> who turned out to be great. But we'll see. Maybe maybe he'll surprise us. Um, kind of a similar thing where yeah, the the, the faces win. Logan Paul, you know eats it and everybody cheers. So still moving on here in the low card. And it's incredible to say that this is a low card match. Drew McIntyre versus happy Corbin. I'm upset. You didn't start with this. This is the lowest of the low. See, I disagree because this has a much longer storyline. And even though it's terrible, even though it's terrible, they have built it. So like a little shred of credit needs to be given where it's due in that regard. Um, But happy Corbin is the opponent, which I don't think I got to say. Uh, SmackDown, uh, we had McIntyre. He said this match with Corbin doesn't compare to his prior Mania matches because this one is personal. He said he's had fun and it's been a good time making Corbin's life hell recently, but he wanted to embarrass him on the biggest stage possible. Then there was a narrated video package of Corbin that aired, uh, but he didn't like Madcap Moss's jokes afterward. On Raw, we had McIntyre versus Corbin and Moss in a handicap match, which I did not even understand why they booked it that way when a handicap is tougher or should be tougher than a singles right. match. But yes. but to their credit, they played it right with Corbin never entering the ring. Uh, yeah, Ma- but it doesn't make sense why you put it makes zero kayfabe sense. It makes zero sense why they would do it or why he would accept it. But it, they played it out properly. Like, yes, if you were going to do it, this was the best case scenario for how they would do it. McIntyre won with the Glasgow kiss and a Claymore. Corbin attacked after hit end of days to stand tall before stealing the sword and running away from Moss. So look, Drew on Friday did whatever he could to sell this match. So a credit to him for yes. doing a decent promo. It's also fair to note, and I'm, I'm trying to be nice, okay? It's also fair to note Corbin's character was given a nine-month developing storyline, okay? But the truth is, I just don't care. They keep calling Corbin undefeated to build him up. But again, facts are facts. He's 3-0 since October. (laughs) If they wanted to really build him up as undefeated and have him run through the low card on SmackDown, 
beat up Gulak, take out Mace, like whoever's still on that show, then he could have, you know, got 12 and 0, 15 and 0. They could have really built him up as a legitimate undefeated threat by letting him take people down. Instead, they did nothing. And while I like Riddick Moss, him as Madcap, plus the whole sword deal, it made this thing completely corny and ridiculous. It's like the entire feud was half-assed. It's not a mania, mania caliber feud, period. Could they have made it one? I think they could have. They could have booked this better. They could have made it a blood feud, not relied on absurd comedy. They could have given us a hardcore stipulation, a false count anywhere, last man standing, street fight, steel cage match. They could have done something to build this up to the level where we said, you know what? I'm not really excited for the for the the the, per, the people in the match, McIntyre and Corbin, but it does deserve to be on WrestleMania because these two guys are capable of a Mania feud. But this is not a Mania feud level match. It hasn't been built up well enough. I don't care about it. I want it over as soon as humanly possible. I'm going to go with three face picks here to start the show. I think Drew McIntyre is going to win. I mean, I know Drew McIntyre is going to win. And my prayer of all prayers is they never interact again. You know, back in like December when we were trying to map out Mania, my pick uh, for the Universal Championship match was Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns. And I, I, I thought they had really moved him past some of the gimmicky stuff and they were ready to elevate him back into that main event picture. And instead we get this. And you're right, they they could have made Corbin interesting if they wanted to. The video package where they told the whole story, that was really good. That I, I like honestly, I'd forgotten some of it. I think a lot of people had. They they did a good job explaining the Corbin character. But when you really look at what they've done over the last three months, there's nothing there. Like you said, he's three and zero. Oh. Look, WWE can make anybody feel legitimate if they want to. Don't forget, a year and a half ago, we got multiple Jay Uso main events matches. Uh, back in the Thunderdome day, like, and they made you believe in Jey Uso and everything that they were doing. Mm -hmm. They could, they could make Corbin be intimidating, be a threat, be a lot of things. They don't want to do it. They want people to boo and laugh and whatever. And that's a real shame. And this is not the kind of gimmick where I think like kids are really into it or something like that. I, I don't know. It's a complete waste of time. I regret even having talked this much about it. Drew McIntyre deserves so much more. So does Baron Corbin. Look, Baron Corbin is a very talented guy who gets stu stick stuck with the worst gimmicks that drag on for a year too long all the time. They got to just, they got to figure out what exactly works here. Drew, Drew McIntyre is going to win this. He's probably not going to stab anybody with a sword, but he might try. And we go home. I mean, I've said this multiple times on the show. The only way to play out the sword, right, is to decapitate someone or to stab <laughs> someone because it's a weapon that is never used. Like Triple H had his sledgehammer. And sure, we never saw him use a sledgehammer in a real way, right, where you you put it behind your back and you swing it over and murder someone, right, by crushing it into their chest or their head because it's wrestling. But he has a sword that he cannot use. There's, he's going to cut someone with it, right? Even if it's rubberized somehow, which it's not, it's, it's unusable. I mean, maybe he could use the butt end of it, right? But again, it's, it's just impossible to use. So the entire sword gimmick 
since the, the day they started it with Drew has been a failure. Um, the Scottish warrior story time with Drew was a failure. They had something going with bum-ass Baron Corbin. It, it was great. And I do think that it was okay that they changed him into a rich guy. It all made sense. They were in Las Vegas for that pay-per-view. It all kind of came together. But the character that they chose, the, the happy character, and then bringing in Mad Cat Moss and making it even more absurd. absurd. I mean, I don't, I don't even know like what era of wrestling it's from, but it's not modern. I don't even know if it's 80s. Like, it feels like it's something that would be done in the carnivals, you know, back like before Vincent, uh, James McMahon, before his father. So everything about this pisses me off. Again, you know, Drew's going to win. I pray. I just want it over. I don't want them ever interacting again. It's very similar, but without any stakes like the John Cena Miz feud that just went on and on and on and never ended. And eventually they finally said, this is the last time they're ever going to fight. That's what this needs to be. This is the last time that they should be on the same brand, that they should interact with each other, or that they should be in the ring together. Ever. I never want to see him again. This is like every Corbin feud. I didn't want to see him against Nakamura ever again. I didn't want to see him against whoever ever again. Yeah. They just they do this all the time with Corbin. And And it's their fault. It's not his fault. No, exactly. Baron Corbin is a capable heel. And I, I honestly believe, I mean, now he may, it may be a lost cause at this point, this, at this point in his career, but I believe there was one point where he could have been a capable main event heel in WWE. I agree. I agree. Maybe they can get him there somehow. I don't know, but he is way too much of a corny chicken shit heel and has been for a very, very long extended period of time. I don't know that they can save him at this point. That's really disappointing. Mm, maybe. Yeah, probably not. Let's move on. We gave this too much time. Uh, SmackDown Tag Team Championship. The Usos defending against Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs on SmackDown. We had Nakamura against Jimmy Uso. They brawled before the bell with Boogs pressing and tossing the Usos into each other. Nine minutes in, Jay took Boogs out at ringside. Then Jimmy super kicked Nakamura for a 2.5. Jay tried to steal the guitar, so Boogs rammed him headfirst into the post outside. Nakamura then hit Kinshasa for the win in 10 minutes to a huge pop from the crowd. Chris, this is how you do it. Night and day booking from that absolute bullshit that we got last week when Jay got squashed in the same kind of setup, okay? good. He got squashed by Rick Boogs. Jay Uso, who you just said main evented multiple TV shows and pay-per-views over, you know, during the pandemic, got squashed by Rick Boogs. Here, they have Shinsuke and Jimmy actually have a good match. This was a solid mm-hmm. preview of the title match. Even though the build was short and incredibly weak, the go-home moment totally worked for me. I was entertained by it. As far as the match itself, look, Nakamura and Boogs, are they over? They are absolutely over. But they need to figure out what to do about the mid-card on SmackDown right now. And these are guys who should be in contention for that mid-card title. They should be in and around that. Sure, they can also wrestle as a tag team on occasion, but they should not be tag team champions. To me, it would not make a shred of sense. And given what I expect to happen in the main event of night two, I'm going to go ahead and assume that the Usos retain the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. I am also picking the Usos, but but I have really come around on Nakamura and Boogs as a tag team basically since Shinsuke dropped the Intercontinental Championship Mm -hmm. and they really became a team instead of Boogs just being his assistant. 
Um, Boogs's athletic ability, his strength is very, very impressive. And while I still don't like the the Freddie Mercury look, singlet, whatever thing he's doing on, Cole made a comment on Raw when during the main event when the tag team match was going on. Cole made a comment that he's like, Nakamura and Boogs have really been hanging out a lot more, and they're really becoming a team, and they're working together, and that's gonna that could help them in their match uh, against the Usos. And I was thinking, like, I would love to see a long series of vignettes between these two, just hanging out, doing stuff. Like they did that Toyota commercial or whatever it was, and I know it was a commercial corporate brand thing, but I honestly like enjoyed it. For their characters, I want to see Nakamura and Boogs out camping. I want to see them out surfing. Like, there's so many opportunities here. Again, kind of like with the Corbin thing, it's like if you really put in the effort, you could you like you could really add to these guys. Look, they they are over. This isn't a Corbin thing. These guys are over. I'm still enjoying Boogs playing the opening song. I think these guys are great. Kind of like in an RK Bro type of sense, uh, where uh, I don't think you break them up. I I would love to see them become the tag team champs, but I'm picking the Usos here at, uh, at WrestleMania. And I'm, I'm kind of curious where it is going forward, but the last few weeks I'm really enjoying Nakamura and Boogs. If you wanted to make Nakamura and Boogs a transitional champion, you know, I think that's okay. Right. And, and you're right. Mm-hmm. They are capable together as a tag team. There's no reason they can't tag together. I'm just really looking at that roster and how thin yeah. it is and, and what they could use and what they need. There are tag teams that exist that can challenge for the titles and they are one they they can be in the mix but they're I mean, also really. two people there's not a, there, there's not a ton there's the viking raiders and like that's it you have los lotharios you have new day you also have yeah. the new Sheamus. You, you have the Sheamus group where any two of them yeah. can be a tag team so they have options on that show um these guys are really needed in the mid card they, they just really are but you're right i'm fine with them being a tag team and i'm fine with them becoming champions it just WrestleMania does not seem like the situation where you take the titles off the Usos for them because the Usos, I mean, we're talking about one of the best tag teams in WWE history against, yes, maybe they're not thrown together because they have been established, but a kind of thrown together tag team. Yes. They, I mean, they were just randomly thrown together, but it's, 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 um, it's worked. And look, we picked, we've picked three faces to win these first three matches Got to have some heels win somewhere on this card. And the Usos make sense as, as much as anybody. Absolutely. Uh, so let's get to the four big matches on night one Saturday. And we'll start with the only one where we do not know both competitors. That's Seth Rollins against an opponent of Vince McMahon's choosing. So late last week, Rollins shared on social media that Vince McMahon called him into his office for a 9 a.m. meeting. WWE released video of that meeting, almost six minutes long, on social media uh, Monday. But it also aired on Raw with Rollins showing up early for the meeting, acting like an ass, throwing up his feet on Vince McMahon's desk, getting him mad. McMahon said to his face that Rollins failed over and over, but all he had to do was just ask Vince because someone of Rollins' caliber couldn't and shouldn't be left off a, quote, stupendous show. Vince simply said, Seth is going to WrestleMania. When Rollins asked about his opponent, McMahon said he'd find out when he's in the wi- in the ring waiting. Uh, Seth tried acting cool, but then he got crazy excited. He ran around the office. He laughed at the T-Rex on the wall. He then surfed on Vince's desk, which I don't know if you guys looked at Vince's face, but he almost lost it and popped when he did that. 
it was a tremendous uh, segment, video, whatever you want to call it, start to finish, A-plus stuff from WWE. I just wish they had saved the whole thing for Raw and not given it away on social media first. But Chris, the idea of Vince basically just saying to Seth, well, dude, all you had to do was ask me. It actually tied a bow around the stuff that we've gotten on TV the last couple of weeks where we're like, this is ridiculous. Why would he go through these hoops? Why why would they even consider having him replace AJ Styles or replace Kevin Owens? It actually kind of paid off the absurdity that we've been seeing now. Was this Mm -hmm. their plan? Was it their response to people thinking it was absurd? I don't know. But, you know, we can pause here before we keep talking. I did think that what we got Monday was pretty genius. Yes, because we had kept saying, hey, wait a minute. Alpha Academy just beat somebody up and they got into WrestleMania. Uh, Other people just beat somebody up and they just got added to a a, a card. Uh, uh, Natalia and and Shayna Baszler, same thing. Why can't Seth Rollins not just do this? Well, it turns out he kind of could have. And and, <laughs> right. And and all and, and yeah, all he had to do is ask. So, yeah, it it worked out. It 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 really paid off the absurdity and kudos for that. Um putting it out on Twitter, I was fine with because it's not really an update kind of, you know, like we knew Seth Rollins was going to be there and this is another way to just kind of draw some attention. Make sure you make sure you're following WWE on Twitter just like the Stone Cold thing cuz there could be some news there from time to time. Yeah, but don't you and want the, don't you want to tell people, "Hey, see Vince McMahon and Seth Rollins meeting face to face. Hear the reaction. Is Seth going to be at WrestleMania? Tune into Raw tonight." Like I, I don't disagree, but they had already hyped up Raw as, "Hey, Brock and Roman are going to be there. Yeah, it's going to be a big show." So like you didn't need to add, you didn't need to add on to it. This was a way to kind of give a little bit of a spotlight. It got like 540,000 views on Twitter the video did, thousands of retweets. So it it, it accomplished, I think what it wanted to. So so that worked out. My only issue in this is on the graphic where it says Seth Rollins versus blank, it says he's fighting, quote, an opponent of Mr. McMahon's choosing. Right. Just say mystery opponent. It's way too many words. It looks weird. It sounds weird. It sounds cooler to just say mystery opponent or something like that. I don't know. That's a small thing. Uh, it was kind of annoying. I was going to uh, say, I think that's a far, was good. I think that's a far bigger uh, nitpick than anything I said. By the way, you, oh, you, it's certainly you are usually Mr. YouTube views where you like look at stuff that the traffic does to determine mm-hmm. whether people really cared about it or not. Well, you know, to your point, they gave it away early. Sure. 1.2 million views for the Mr. McMahon and Seth freaking Rollins segment far and above there you go. anything that happened on Raw, including the Brock Lesnar, which is 558K and Roman Reigns segments, which was 400K. So the easily uh, most popular thing that WWE produced on Monday. Number two is Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair, which we will talk about later. So to your point, maybe it didn't matter that it was released early. One more really quick thing before we go to talk about the match. Uh, shouldn't this be grounds for dismissal of Sonya Deville and Adam Pierce in kayfabe? Like they're making this guy jump through hoops. Vince is like, why are you doing that shit? You should have just come to me. You know, not to mention all the other stuff and and screw ups they've had as authority figures. Shouldn't they be fired based on this? Uh, I I don't know about fired, but you should have Vince McMahon saying, what the hell? Why is he not on the card? (laughs) Like they should have been in the office getting like reamed out before Seth. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that That would have added an element to it. Okay, so look, we know the opponent. Everyone at this point knows the opponent. If you don't, if you somehow have kept away 
from knowing who is going to show up on WrestleMania. Go I'm ahead. jealous of you. Yeah, first of all, congratulations. Uh, but fast forward the show, let's call it four to five minutes. And you can always go back if you miss something. But fast forward five minutes because we're going to talk about it right here. We have reached the end of the storyline. And now we can discuss, Chris, whether this was the right way to re-debut Cody Rhodes in WWE. As I've said before, a lot of people in the IWC, internet wrestling community, Smarks, whatever you want to call them, many seem to be acting like this booking is a failure because they didn't do it on TV and build into the match at WrestleMania. And I think there is a fair point to say that that was a legitimate other option and may have been the better option that WWE chose not to use, okay? They could have debuted him in Jacksonville, could have debuted him in Chicago. But I think we forget a couple things. The majority of the WWE audience does not worry, seek out, or consider inside dirt and news. And a spoiled debut ruins the surprise, but doesn't make it any less meaningful. Do I wish they had gone back to, you know, around 2013, the battleground storyline and recalled the, the Shield versus the Rhodes family and Cody uh, earning his contract back in WWE by beating, pinning Seth Rollins in that match? Of course I do. It's a great parallel. But we're also nine years removed from that. By the way, you should all go back and watch that Battleground 2013 match awesome. before WrestleMania. Um, but anyway, it may not have been the way that I would have booked it, Chris, or that you would have booked it. But the stuff the last two weeks with Kevin Owens and AJ Styles, it was sloppy. We did get two great television matches out of it. And it led into what I thought, at least, was a great Seth Rollins, Mr. McMahon segment. So in the end, am I thrilled with the build? No. But I am pleased. And I do think they did a more than adequate job getting us to this point of Seth Rollins versus a debuting, re-debuting Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania. Look, I'm always the person who says, don't tell me things ahead of time. I want the big surprise. And honestly, there's no bigger way to do a surprise than re, you know, re-debuting somebody at WrestleMania. Like like that that you can't get it much bigger than that. They did so, it with the Hardy Boys. It was widely praised. Yes. yes. Yeah. So you have to credit them for that. Um, I, you're right. I'm I'm kind of mixed between that versus have them make a surprise at at a Raw or something, and then you build up a story between them, and you make it a blood feud, and you, you do whatever. Uh, but this may not be the end of Cody versus Seth. We could get that at Backlash. We could get into that story. Absolutely. At, at Backlash. Look, WWE wants to make moments more than matches because that's what you remember. You remember the moments. You remember the Hardy return. You don't remember as much about them winning that ladder match and winning the tag team championship. Correct. You remember, Correct. you remember the pop of their surprise return. That's what Vince McMahon has always correctly understood about pro wrestling is that, that that's what it's about. And so this is going to be a moment. It's going to be absolutely going to be a moment. We're going to wait to see what kind of music he has. We're going to see what the, what the entrance is. We're going to, he's going to, and, and Cody knows how to make a moment. It's something he could do much better than anybody else in AW, which was try to make something feel bigger than it is. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is, is certainly going to be something. And we, like I said, again, we have a lot of questions. What, what is, is he going to be Cody, Cody Rhodes? We don't know yet still. So it's exciting. 
it's exciting to see what's going to happen, even though we know it's probably going to be him. I'm actually really curious if he keeps the blonde hair. Yeah. Because in WWE, he had the brown hair. He was a brunette the entire day. He's natural hair color. So I am kind of curious what he looks like. Did he get the tattoo lasered off? Let's hope. Let's pray. <laughs> uh, probably not. But maybe he did. Who knows? Um, I want to know what Vince thinks the first time he saw it. <laughs> me Gotta too. Know. Goddamn, son. What is that shit? Um, here's before we get into picking the match really quick, because we're making we are ultimately making assumptions that it's Cody. There is a possibility that exists out there in the ether in the world that this is a red herring that Cody's going to debut on the Raw after WrestleMania. And mm -hmm. this surprise opponent has been penciled in on WWE schedule as Cody to hide who it actually is. That's all possible. So, mm -hmm. Chris, if it's not Cody, is there anyone, because I have three names here, is there anyone that one. you're thinking it could be that would get you excited or just that you think is plausible? No, I, I have two. Two names. Okay. One less likely. The one, the one less likely is Bray Wyatt. Okay. Who has not, sh who has not shown up in wrestling since he was let go. Number two. And by the way, would be a great callback. Mm -hmm. to, to the Hell in a Cell match, yes. the, the start of this Seth Rollins character. And, I, the, and, I, it, and people would pop. People would be like, oh man, like it's not Cody, but that's pretty sweet that Bray Wyatt's back. I think people would people pop would harder. Cool. I think people might even pop harder if it's Bray Wyatt. Knowing that, oh my God, we're going to get Cody on Monday. Something like that. Could be, yeah. The other would be a mixed reaction, but a big pop in the moment, which I think is, if it's not Cody, this is who I think it most likely is. That is Shane McMahon. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, that whole dust up after Royal Rumble where I think the, the, the dirt sheets were saying Shane was trying to pencil himself into a match with Seth, I believe. Yeah. Uh, at the time, and uh, uh, there was a big pushback to that. And look, I watched the WWE Evil episode on Stephanie McMahon last night, and there was a lot of Shane in that. And there was a lot of talking about Shane and Shane quitting the company and these kinds of things. So um, that would be my other option. So I actually forget three. I have four names. Um, none of them, by the way, are as good as Bray Wyatt. That's a good poll. And if they did that, that would be such a great swerve. Being able to tell that story, um, uh, you know, whether it's Fiend Wyatt or whether it's Wyatt Wyatt, about... You know, Seth lost his mind in that Hell in a Cell match, and then he lost his title, uh, you know, at the Saudi Arabia show. And ever since, he's been this crazy character, which is true. You know, it, it's really where the whole thing started, the whole transition. First him becoming a heel and then kind of becoming this character. That would be incredible and really a great piece of booking. The names I have, none of them live up to that. Um, but there are just options that it could possibly be. Uh, one is Goldberg, just because, oh, just because Goldberg oh, and... Come on, and you know, yep, worst yep, case scenario. Yep, yep. Uh, the other three are all more exciting. One is Gable Stevenson, who we hmm. know is going to be at WrestleMania, who said he's going to be at WrestleMania. Uh, I don't think they would put him directly in a match with Seth Rollins, let alone if he was going to be in that, he would have to beat him. So I don't think they'd put him over Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. But it's he just finishes he just finishes college career at Minnesota as well, so he's done with that. Yeah, and he's going to be in WWE very soon, and like I said, he's going to be at Mania. And then there's two others. The other two are John Cena, who we have not heard peep from hmm. on this entire build to Mania. And, at, and you want to talk about a huge match. John Cena as a surprise against Seth mm -hmm. Rollins is a huge match. Mm -hmm. No matter how you slice it, that's a big. People would love it. And the last one is Johnny Gargano. Now, mm. Johnny would not necessarily 
receive maybe the same reaction, of course, that a John Cena would, right? Because everyone in the world knows John Cena. And Johnny Gargano is mostly smarks and people who watched NXT, which obviously has not been on right. the air in a while. I also don't think the WWE bringing Johnny Gargano back, even though I think that they'd use him well, I don't know that they would see him as the type of guy that you bring in to return at WrestleMania. I wish they did, but I don't think that they would. However, could you imagine hearing Rebel Heart play over those loudspeakers and Johnny walk to the ring and then get a five-star match with Seth Rollins and Johnny Gargano? To me personally, that would be a markout moment. I would absolutely love mm-hmm. So I think between all those people that we mentioned, Chris. I got one more. One more that comes to mind, actually, because of your Gargano. That is Braun Breaker. Okay. Who reportedly Vince McMahon loves after he came up on SmackDown or Raw, was it a couple weeks ago? Raw. He's got the He has the match with Dolph Ziggler earlier in the day, so pulling double duty may be tough. If he does but, not win the title, or really either way, but if he does not, theoretically he'd be clear to get called up. Yeah, so that's another, I guess, possibility. It is. And, and by the way, I think there is some level of plausibility for all of those. Now, mm-hmm. in the end, Chris... I think we pretty much know it's going to be Cody Rhodes, right? It's not a, not a great catch. I hope so. I'm kind of, we kind of, I kind of talked myself into thinking it might not be him now. And now I'm concerned. Well, it could be a red herring. And I will say if WWE red herrings us and debuts Cody on Monday, I would be okay with it as long as the person who shows up Saturday is Bray Wyatt, John Cena, or probably Johnny Gargano. It'd have to be one of those three people. Um, I'm actually talking myself into them bringing Wyatt back being a genius idea for this. You really, (laughs) that was a good piece of booking from you. Um, But look, it's most likely going to be Cody, Chris. So that means the match would be Seth Rollins versus Cody Rhodes. And I'm kind of curious what you think the booking would be here because Seth is in a position right now where he can lose to anyone and it doesn't hurt him. And he's been losing for the better part of two years. Cody coming back and taking a loss right away, even with it being to Seth Rollins. I mean, it's feasible. It's possible because we saw Brock Lesnar come back and take a loss right away. So it could Mm -hmm. certainly happen with Cody Rhodes as well. But I just don't think WWE is dumb enough to bring him back and do that. Me neither. And again, this doesn't mean this doesn't mean it's the end of a feud. I think I think it's the start of a feud like like, like Seth can lose at. WrestleMania and get his win back at the next pay-per-view or something like that. So I, uh, I agree. It, mystery opponent, really probably whoever it is, but especially if it's Cody, uh, my, my pick is Cody. Yeah, I think so too. And your idea of them continuing the feud, this being a jumping off point for them having a feud, that to me makes a lot of sense. Uh, whether you rematch it at Backlash or the pay-per-view that follows, whatever the case, this does feel like a situation where it can be a two or three month feud where it really reestablishes Cody within WWE. And then you can push Seth off, maybe move him over to SmackDown and finally do the true feud with Roman Reigns. Tons of different things you can do. Um, But I do think Cody ultimately wins this match. Okay, we spent a lot of time on that, but we do still have three more things to talk about just from night one. SmackDown Women's Championship, Charlotte Flair defending the title against Royal Rumble winner Ronda Rousey. On SmackDown, after a highlight package of their feud, Rousey was in the ring. She said she's not going to just take the title. Flair will submit and then give it to her. She flubbed the name of the title, then demanded to see Flair. Charlotte appeared on a screen at some like staged photo shoot type of deal, saying she's the champion and she appears when she wants. Rousey said she's lost count of how many arms she's broken. She said Flair beating Flair um, 
would be just another win in her book and Charlotte winning, it would be the biggest win of her career. This thing, start to finish, was horrendous, okay? It actually is generous of me using the word horrendous to describe it. Rousey either refuses or is incapable of conveying emotion verbally. Putting her in the ring by herself, talking to a screen, was perhaps the worst case scenario in terms of presenting her as a threat and building this match. It was such an avoidable mistake, another unforced error by WWE, and it took a feud that two weeks ago had been completely cooled off. They revitalized it with a really good attack last week, and to me, they completely cooled it off again. As far as who I think is going to win, I just don't see a scenario in which Ronda Rousey is in a title match at WrestleMania and loses. So I have to believe Ronda Rousey walks out of here with the SmackDown Women's Championship. What does that mean for the future of that division? which is already super thin. I have absolutely no idea, but I do think Rousey takes the title at WrestleMania. In fairness, she has been in one title match at WrestleMania and lost it. <laughs> so, that is true. So there, so there is but that. she entered as champion. That is true. Um, so the, 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 the point you make about Ronda just verbally not being able to express things the right way you want in wrestling. This is, this is true. Putting her in front of the screen, the, the best promo we've gotten out of her throughout this build was the one time she was in the ring with Michael Cole, I think who, who was interviewing her and she had someone to play off of and direct things. And that was the best you could do. I don't understand why we haven't gotten any real Ronda Rousey sit down interviews backstage pre-recorded something like that. Like she has, she had a promo into the camera one time, but I mean like sit down, tell her story. The story she told on SmackDown uh, last week was it, it was a good idea. The idea at, at 14, I broke my first arm. Now I do this. Like there, there was something there. It just wasn't delivered well. And I think if you had done it in some backstage interview, you know, or a vignette or something like that, you could have made it something. Instead, almost every single week, we just have Rhonda coming out, cutting a bad promo, and that's it. Like you could you could do a backstage interview and then, but if you want the crowd to see her, she runs out to chase Charlotte away when she's beating somebody up or something like that. I just the build to this has been horrendous, like you said, and it's exactly everything I feared once she won the Rumble. I said I don't think she's going to be able to uh, carry one side of a feud like this, especially on the mic, and she hasn't. And they they really I. I feel like they wanted to make this the, the main event of night one. It, it sounds like it's going to be KO and Steve Austin, which we'll get to. But either way, there's going to be a last match. I don't know what it's going to be. And, and more than anything, I don't know why this match is happening. I don't know why she hates Charlotte Flair. She won the Royal Rumble. She got the match. But there's been no, none of their connection as rivals has felt real. It's felt completely fake and forced the entire time. Yep. The complete opposite of Becky and Bianca, where there, there's there's just there's no juice to this at all. And there just has not been. It made no sense when clearly Becky was Rhonda's biggest antagonist, you know, in the lead up to their they even acknowledged it. They even acknowledged it. And they acknowledged <laughs> that. So you're like, well, why wouldn't you go after Becky? You have yeah. this opportunity to pick. You may not have that opportunity again. You right now have the chance to choose and you choose Charlotte, and you're right, there's nothing behind this. There, there's absolutely, like, outside of Charlotte insulting her, saying, I'm going to beat you, and you can go get pregnant again, which she said, like, four different times, 
that's just like an insult. That's not a storyline thread to, to create, to build mm-hmm. upon, right? So mm-hmm. you're right. It, the whole thing is just lacking energy, passion, emotion. And, you know, there was a, a rumor kind of that went around that uh, Charlotte said that she was willing to drop the title to Rousey, but that she wanted to do it so she could main event a night of WrestleMania. And what's incredible is it doesn't seem like this is even going to main event the night it's on. But what's even more incredible is they put both women's championships on the same show. And when I build this card, when when we do this ultimate preview, I'm not talking about it in order of the way I think WWE is going to present it. I do it based on what's most important. What is being shown to us as the most important, most interesting, most captivating matches that we as fans are going into the show looking forward to. And there's a reason why I put Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair after Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey, because while Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey may make more headlines, it's possible because of Ronda Rousey and Flair's name. There's no question that almost every WWE fan and every person going into this pay-per-view critic, whoever, is looking more forward to Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair because it's going to be a better match. It has a far better and longer storyline, and it feels semi-real where this feels completely fake. Also, I didn't give a pick, but my pick is Ronda as well. I think we've picked the same on everything here. Well, but I don't think any of it has created an opportunity for us to pick differently. Right. No, you're They're so obvious. That's part of the issue with the booking of everything. But let's move on to what I think is the biggest match on night one of WrestleMania, the Raw Women's Championship. Becky Lynch defending against Bianca Belair. On Raw, Belair said everything about her threatens Lynch. She said Becky's tried everything she can to take Bianca out. None of it has worked. and She can't be stopped. Lynch tried a surprise attack from behind with a steel chair. Belair caught her, beat her ass down. Lynch used the braid to stop Belair, hit her with the steel chair, and grabbed some shears from a bag. She went to cut the braid when Belair straight up lifted her into the air and hit a KOD. Then she had a second KOD. She grabbed the shears and cut off multiple chunks of Becky's hair. Lynch screamed and threw a fit, saying she's going to end Belair as fans chanted, you deserve it. And then backstage, Becky was furious after and called Bianca a bitch before walking off. I was a little mixed on this whole thing, Chris. I felt like it was bordering on a heel turn because Bianca has never, ever showed an aggressive, angry side like this before. But by lingering the camera on Becky after, they made it clear she's the heel, Bianca's the face. This wasn't amazing. It wasn't bad either. However, and this is a big however, it sure did feel like one of those moments where WWE counterbooks and does the opposite of the go-home moment at WrestleMania. I can't think of anything that would be more deflating on a WrestleMania that has not been built exceedingly well than Lynch retaining the title <laughs> over Bianca Belair on the show. So I'm going to pick Belair winning the Raw Women's Championship because that's absolutely what should happen and it's what needs to happen. And I cannot imagine... Even when we criticize WWE for being dumb and not creative and whatever the case, generally they don't make huge mistakes in big moments. This would be a massive mistake. But I said generally, not always, generally. Yeah, yeah. But but this, in this case, they really did create a sense of doubt. They put a sense of doubt in my mind with the way this storyline ended in the go-home moment on Raw that maybe Becky does retain the title. But again, my pick is Bianca Belair. I man, I am really torn now. So first off, that Bianca promo, I loved it. B- Bianca is so much better 
when she's serious, when she's aggressive, when she's looking to kick somebody's ass. She, she, she's great at those promos, which is why I think she would be a great heel and has been in the past. It, it's all, it's, it, it comes off a lot better than her trying to be the happy baby face, you know, type of deal. So I love the promo. So Becky comes out, you know, oh, she's going to try to cut the hair. Uh, Bianca gets out of it, hits the double KOD. Okay, okay, boom. You know, that makes sense. It was great. Bianca's going to win now. But then when Bianca starts cutting the hair, like she tried to do it and you, the crowd's kind of into it. But then when she started actually cutting her hair and doing it several times, the crowd stopped cheering. <laughs> like that, that is, that is not the face thing to do. The crowd was like, whoa, is this, is this a heel turn? I, I, I think that's what they were thinking. Cause that was pretty intense. A- anytime you're cutting off hair, that's a big deal in wrestling. And she did it a lot. And, and Becky sold it well. And, you know, she called her a bitch afterward and all this stuff. And I, I guess I'm picking Bianca, but I'm really not sure. I, I, I really have doubt. This is pretty close to 50-50 for me just because of how intense that go-home segment was and how one-sided it was in Bianca's favor. And again, it was a heel move. Like, does this turn? does this lead to some double turn? I Possibly. I, I think they could try a double turn at Mania. I, I, I don't know. So um, this, again, this this match continues to, continues to have more heat and energy and juice and connection than the other women's match. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I really, I'm really looking forward to who wins because I, I don't know. It would really be something if they spent eight months trying to make Becky Lynch a heel only to do a double turn and make her face at WrestleMania. It is absolutely possible they do it. But man, I don't know in what scenario it would be well received. Like, right. like Bianca getting a DQ and beating the shit out of her with a chair wouldn't make any sense because why wouldn't she want to win the title, right? Like, they could do it, but oh man, it would just be such a mistake for them to do it. I, I have to believe. Yeah. I have to believe that this was like a red herring. Like it was the fans will expect Becky Maybe. to come out on top in the go home mm-hmm. and Bianca to win. Let's put some doubt in their minds and have Bianca come out on top and do this and show some aggressiveness. But by the way, let's not forget, they also had the Street Profits in the main event of the show um, mm-hmm, get really mm-hmm. aggressive and heelish mm-hmm. when they didn't need to do that. And even though they're not a trio, they're frequently seen together backstage. So there is the possibility that they're mm-hmm. kind of working this angle with all three of them. I want to put it out there. It's not going to change my prediction, but again, you know, if their goal was to put doubt in my mind in our minds, Chris, they succeeded and I give them credit for that. Yes. And, and one other point, WWE got trashed for Bianca losing the way she did at SummerSlam and people comparing it to Kofi and people mm-hmm. commenting on how they treat their black champions. We said at the time, you know, look, hey, chill out. They think Bianca's a big deal. She's not going to be pushed down the ladder, and she wasn't. She's and she, back in a Russell, they, they lived up to, They lived up to everything that we assumed and hoped coming yes. out of that, that she wasn't going to get lost yes. in the shuffle, that she'd be back in the main. She'd you know either win the Royal Rumble or find her way into a title match at WrestleMania, and they lived up to all of it. Yes. And, 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 and the story they told makes perfect sense up until this last point on Monday where I, I, I don't know. So maybe it was a red herring because if you look at the nine months or whatever it is, it all makes sense. Um, but that last little bit at the end threw in a little bit of doubt and maybe that's just good wrestling storytelling. 
And Chris, the one non-match on the show, at least non-match as of right now, that on Monday Night Raw, it was officially announced, at least by Kevin Owens, will be the main event of night one of WrestleMania Saturday, is the KO show with Kevin Owens and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So on Raw, KO praised Austin. Uh, There was a video package that they aired. He said they would main event Mania and told fans they wouldn't get Stone Cold, but rather Steve. He said Stone Cold is gone and Steve has been drinking beer and wasting his life away for 19 years while begging people to be on his podcast. Owens said he'd make Austin feel good and give him a special send-off. He even promised to do a toast and drink a beer with him, even though he thinks beer is disgusting. KO said they would toast to Austin's career and Owens having the superior stunner. Owens then ran through all of Austin's lines, said he'd kick his ass if he tried to fight him. You know, I give KO a lot of credit. He's had a really tough job building a WrestleMania segment, let alone a main event now, all by himself. You know, we had that one Steve Austin video that wasn't even on Raw, and that was it. Prior weeks Mm -hmm. were better than this, but there was nothing wrong with it. The crowd was in the palm of his hands the entire time. It pops every time Austin's music is played or his name is mentioned. The real headline is that this, and not a match, is main eventing WrestleMania. And that's definitely an interesting decision. My guess is that WWE feels if they put this anywhere else on the card, the opener, the mid-show main event, wherever, it would overshadow anything that comes after it. And, you know, if they put this in the penultimate spot, even if there was a cooler between it and, let's say, Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair, if they didn't want that to be the main event, I think the crowd just would have been absolutely exhausted from cheering and jumping and going crazy for Steve Austin that it would have killed the remainder of the show. And if that's the case, then putting this in the main event, especially of night one, knowing that you have a whole nother night and a real wrestling match main event to come in night two, to me, that's probably the right decision. Yes. And to your point about Kevin Owens, yes, carrying this story by himself. And that's why this main event, it's not the Steve Austin main event. It's the Steve Austin and Kevin Owens main event. Mm -hmm. Kevin Owens has has lived up to the burden of carrying that and not just WWE saying, hey, Stone Cold's going to be there. Everybody come see Stone Cold, come see Stone Cold. No, it's Stone Cold's going to confront Kevin Owens, and he deserves that moment. I've said this before, but that's why uh, he's a guy, when we do our fantasy draft, I would build an entire company around him because he can do absolutely everything. And I have – so so back to Triple H real quick. WrestleMania 34. Now, I had always wanted to experience a Triple H entrance in person because when, when, when he during the Attitude Era, when I watched as a kid, I never went to a show. My parents didn't take me. I got back in in about 2012, 2013, but Triple H, I went to a couple of Raws, but Triple H never obviously did an entrance on, on one of those. So WrestleMania 34 comes, I get my Triple H entrance, childhood dream come true. I get my Kurt Angle entrance, childhood dream come true. Now I'm going to WrestleMania here in Dallas, and I'm going to get my Stone Cold entrance that I've never had before. And I am so looking forward to that moment. And this entire generation of people like me is going to be waiting for that moment at, uh, at AT&T Stadium. And it's going to be really special. And the question is, what are they going to do? You know, when, when, when Austin accepted, he said to fight a match or whatever. And we never really got what that was. They're, they're still just saying he's going to be on the show. Are they really just going to do 
a stunner, drink some beers and go home? Or are they going to try to make something out of this? Yeah, you know, they could certainly do what we've seen before with, you know, The Rock or John Cena, where there's an impromptu match. The bell rings. Someone needs a stunner. A couple moves. Maybe Owens gets hit. Maybe Owens hits like his flying scent on or, you know, a pop-up powerbomb and then Austin recovers and it's a stunner. It's possible they do that. I think more likely than not, it is a verbal confrontation that gets into a shoving match or gets physical. Um, and they end up fighting each other for a period of two minutes. And the whole thing ends with multiple stunners, a beer bath, people cheering and all that type of stuff. And I think that's completely fine because guess what? Two of the best promo people in wrestling history are Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kevin Owens. Not the best necessarily, either of them, but two of the best. And if you're going to have a promo segment, an interview talk show type of segment in the main event of WrestleMania, those are two perfect people to be in it. By the way, huge for Kevin Owens that he's main eventing WrestleMania. I know it's not a match, but he's main eventing WrestleMania with Stone Cold Steve Austin, a guy he grew up idolizing. Like imagine being him and and being given this opportunity. So he's probably thrilled. I think we as fans are going to love it. You know, there's not a lot of things where we can almost guarantee that WWE is going to deliver on something. One of those things, though, is Stone Cold Steve Austin appearances and The Rock appearances, both of them. And I think we're going to get yes. that right here. I think the last Stone Cold appearance was that the 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 Raw during the shutdown. Yes, on three sixteen day. That was the last time we saw him in front of a crowd of nobody. And so also, and they somehow uh, made it work. It wasn't great. Yes, but they made it yes. work. Yes, uh, Brian Gewertz, former head WWE writer, works with The Rock now. He, he was doing an interview the other day and he made a comment like, you want to do more than what people expect. So he was talking about the Stone Cold thing and he says, you, you don't want to do just the stunner, you drink beer, you go home. Like like when The Rock makes his comebacks, you want to do something, whether that's the, uh, the flamethrower, whether that's the match with Eric Rowan, you know, you, you try to do, you, you do the Becky Lynch, Corbin stuff at that SmackDown. You want to make it a little bit more than the basics. So I, I could see a spot where Kevin Owens, they get in an argument and Kevin Owens says, how about we have a match right now? All right, let's do it. And then boom, it's done in a minute or something like that. Like I, I, I could see that technically happening as as well. Again, kind of like the Cody thing. Like, I don't know how this is going to play out. And that unknown is very exciting on a card where we've picked the same winners every time. There are some mysteries here as to how things are going to play out. And I think, Chris, that even though we have an idea. We just don't know in reality because it is it is something that it's labeled as the KO show, but we really just don't know what it's going to look like, how it's going to be presented. Are they going to do it on the stage? Is it going to be in the ring? Um, just everything about how much time is it going to be? Like how long is the segment going to last? These are all things that we don't know. And by the way, it's also possible that th- this and some of the main events here for WrestleMania night one are going up against potentially the highest rated final four game in history, you know, Duke UNC, mm-hmm. uh, Duke, North Carolina coach K's final game potentially. So like there's huge competition here. This is, they're going to need this to make headlines. So again, I don't know exactly what they're going to do. I think a match is possible, but either way, I do think that this somehow, some way will deliver. Now we're going to give our expectation grade uh, at the end. We'll do maybe both nights individually, Chris, and then the combined one, even though the combined one is all that really matters. But from top to bottom, just real quick before we move on to night two, I do want to say this to me is a four match night. 
the, the last four matches we or, or four four segment night. The last four segments we talked about KO and Austin, the two women's title matches, and Seth Rollins versus the opponent of Vince McMahon's choosing. It, it's ha- only half of the card. The other half, just being candid, I really could not give a shit about the other half of this card on night one. Yep, I agree. I, I think the I think the SmackDown tag match could be pretty good, but you don't care about it. No, and and I'm interested to see what Logan Paul does. So there's like there in some of these, there's certain things you're looking for, but McIntyre versus Corbin, nothing, no juice. I don't care. New Day versus Sheamus and Rich Holland, do not care. And so yeah, you know, you, you talk about eight segments, four of them you think are absolutely. WrestleMania quality, arguably even maybe main event level quality. So it's a real high and low on that first night. That is true. You know, it, it's it's only half of the card, but it is very top heavy. Like when you when you consider those things, they're all prominent matches. Um, maybe Cody Seth couldn't main event unless there was a title involved, but they're all prominent segments, um, happenings, whatever you want to call it, that if it was a one night mania card and that was half the card, you would say, well, the other half, if the other half bangs, then we have a baller mania card. And I think that is what we're going to come up saying here at the end, where if you took out the bottom half of night one and the bottom half of night two, and you looked at the remainder, it would be a very strong top to bottom WrestleMania card. The problem is those other halves exist. Yeah, those other halves are just generally not. And they're not, not only not do they exist, quality. they're weak on top of it. So yes. yep. with that, let's move over to night two, WrestleMania Sunday. And we'll start with Pat McAfee versus Austin Theory on SmackDown. Theory randomly ran down and knocked McAfee's headset off for the third time. McAfee chased him backstage. Theory jumped into Mr. McMahon's office and slammed the door. McAfee went back to the booth and that was it. There, nothing else happened. They've built a feud around knocking an announcer's headset off. Like, think about that. That's the entire animosity between these guys. This already didn't belong on Mania. If they put this on a B-level pay-per-view, I wouldn't think twice about it. But there wasn't even an effort to try and make it the least bit compelling to do something here that made me care about the match other than just being interested in seeing Pat wrestle again. It's like a kid stealing someone's hat on the playground and playing keep away. That's what this whole thing is. It's the only equivalent I can come up with. There's no reason to do this match if Pat McAfee's not going to win. That's all I'm going to say. Pat wins. That's my pick. I'm, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Yep. I, there's not really, there, again, there wasn't much build. I'm surprised there hasn't been more physicality. Austin Theory puts McAfee through the table or something like that. Again, just like give a little bit more to this. It's like it's not, a lot of these things, they, they set the match and just left it at that and treaded water for a few weeks. And that this is one of those that did that. Um, picking Pat to win. Curious if we'll do a moonsault. You know, he, he did some pretty good top rope stuff in that NXT match, uh, which is really good with Adam Cole back in the day. Um, but uh, yeah, Pat McAfee wins. And I'm curious if he goes from the table to the ring and back or, or how that works. Or if he makes see. an entrance and they have someone else like Corey Graves sit on commentary during the match. I can, also, I can yeah, see that. also curious if they will, because his entrance music at the show, at the live shows is Seven Nation Army. Uh, that, But that's not broadcast on TV because they'd have to pay for that. Um, that when he came out uh, on Raw or something like that, he got the SmackDown music. 
So I'm curious if he'll have the SmackDown music. Oh, that or, would be so lame if he came out to the or, SmackDown music. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. That's something else I'm going to look for. Yeah, that would be lame. I, I will say I do want to amend something I just said. I said there'd be no reason to have this match if you're not going to have Pat win. Pat should win. It makes the most sense. But let's not forget, though, you know, Austin Theory is the future of WWE. He's one of these five or six younger guys that they have. They don't have that many. But he's one of those guys who they surely hope, and, and it seems based on the way, the way they're booking him with Vince McMahon and everything, that they're going to want to eventually be an upper mid-carder, possibly main eventer, maybe world champion who, you know, is the next John Cena, Roman Reigns, whatever the case might be. And if you're going to do that with him, then having him lose to Pat McAfee, it's not the end of the world, but maybe it shouldn't happen. And Pat can, certainly, Pat can certainly take a loss to Theory. I mean, he lost to yes, Adam yeah. Cole, so he can lose to Austin Theory. So when I kind of said definitively that there's no way Pat doesn't lose and why would you book this without him winning? I don't know that that's true, actually. I, I would be totally okay if Austin Theory won, but I do think Pat will win. This is a good point. I get it. How, how many heels do we have winning on this show? Not a lot. Um, uh, even on night two. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know. That's a good That's a good point. We both picked Pat easily, but now that I think about it, it doesn't make any sense. On night one, I think <laughs> the only heel that I picked was the Usos. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Actually, I, I'm really not sure here. Because, I mean, if Pat wins, is it going to be a straight-up match or is it going to be a, a roll-up something? Or or is Pat going to wrestle some more matches in the future? In which case, eh, I'm, 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 I'm going to say Pat McAfee because I think we have the other celebrities losing. Gotcha. Um, well, Dewey, that's, that's the question that's going to come up next because we have Sami Zayn versus Johnny Knoxville in an anything goes match. On SmackDown, Sammy ranted about Knoxville saying he would be punished in the ring like nothing that's ever been seen in WWE before and nothing else happened. The anything goes stipulation here makes it obvious that all the jackass guys are going to get involved. There's going to be some chaotic moments that will probably make headlines, and that's good. This match has actually been built really well despite mm -hmm. it being a celebrity match. Yes. Definitely. The like If you're following Sami Zayn on Twitter... There's stuff going on about his phone getting blown up. You got doxxed by Johnny Knoxville and there's all this stuff going on. And he's playing off it really funny. It's not getting a ton of TV time, but Sami Zayn off camera is doing a great job of keeping me interested in this. And for me, this is an example. So like this, with it, anything goes. Sami not having anyone who would have his back right now. He has no group. He has no friends. You know, there's really nothing there. I have to believe all the jackass guys get involved. And because of that, I believe Johnny Knoxville is going to win this match. That's that makes sense, and I could and I could see WWE much preferring Sami Zayn take a loss instead of Austin Theory. Mm, I don't know about that, but th this one I, this I one's easier to predict because there's clearly going to be interference. Like, do we have two celebrity wins on one night of Mania? It makes I mean, me. It really does make me rethink the Pat McAfee Austin Theory. Yeah, I know. I am. You know too. what? I'm going to give us. I'm going to give us a rare second chance. We will give our. <laughs> we will give our final. Pat McAfee, Austin Theory picks, as if it's the most important match on the show. We will give our final picks on our live WrestleMania uh, 38 night two pre-show Sunday before the pay-per-view begins. So on Twitter spaces, okay. you will get yeah. our final prediction for that. I'll probably be in my car driving to the show at the moment that that happens uh, both nights. We'll figure it out. Uh, we'll make it work. Yeah. So, okay. We'll hold off on that. But I, I you're... You're right. I mean, that makes sense for Johnny Knoxville to win. There's no other. 
what what is the scenario in which Sami Zayn wins? I don't know. No one, no one from Jackass interfering, or only one or two people maybe interfering, and Sami being maybe able to ba- take maybe them out. Bam, maybe Bam, maybe Bam makes his big return and he sides with Sami Zayn. <laughs> Something like that. I'd pop for that. So yeah, uh, there, there are very there's very few situations in which I think it would make sense for Sami to win. Booking you're right. I, I, that makes sense. I'm gonna go Johnny Knoxville. So before we move on, McAfee's obviously going to be the best wrestler of the three celebrities across both nights. But where do you think Logan Paul and Johnny Knoxville are going to stack up against him and against like all-time celebrity wrestlers in WWE? Logan Paul will be really interesting because he's done some fights. I I really don't know what to expect. Obviously, Bad Bunny blew us away. A lot of it comes down to a lot of it comes down to really do they like wrestling? Like, like Bad Bunny put in the work. He knew how to sell. Like, he had clearly watched wrestling and loved it and knew those little things. Logan Paul might be able to do that. I don't think Johnny Knoxville is going to really know how to do that. But he knows how to play to the crowd well. And uh, take bumps so, so, and hurt himself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Pat McAfee, obviously, is arguably the best celebrity match ever. You could make the case. Um, yeah. So, I, I think McAfee will be really interesting. But where do you think these guys um, stack up? Like, okay, so... I think you probably agree with me. Pat McAfee, Bad Bunny are probably like one, two. Yeah. On the list. Um, But I think these guys have an opportunity to not necessarily be three, four, but to be in that next tier. I think both are, Logan is is capable from an athletic fighting standpoint. Mm -hmm. Uh, The question is, you know, how much work does he put in and and how good does Ray and and Dominic, do Ray and Dominic uh, Mm -hmm. make him look? And Sammy, I have no doubt, is going to make Knoxville look good. But I think that, that whole match is just going to be, uh, you know, tables, put it, put through tables and jumping off platforms and things like that. Which that, is good. Sense. WrestleMania needs that. There, there are no there are no stipulations on the first night. This is the only match across two nights with a real stipulation. And it's, appro- yeah. it's appropriate for this one. But it is shocking that nothing else, there's no ladder match, anything having to do with hair in, in Becky versus... Uh, Bianca, no street fight for Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. They're going to have a a clean match in the main event. WWE could have juiced this card a bit more, booked the exact same way in terms of match card, the same 15 segments. If they added a couple stipulations, they really could have like added some juice and they just didn't. And it was shocking. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. Okay. Uh, so what, who's your pick? You, you Knoxville. I think or? I'm picking Johnny Knoxville as well. All right. We're, we're all on the same page here. Uh, let's move on. Bobby Lashley versus Omos just recently added Monday night on raw. So on raw, I mean, talk about horrible booking. We had Omos against the Viking Raiders in a handicap match. Just that alone was bad, but then it got even worse. Omos clotheslined Eric, I think so hard that he got counted out inside of 30 seconds after the bell. Ivar jumped on the ring apron to like get some action. Omos kicked him off and that was it. This was somehow worse almost. Not, you know, not worse than the Ricochet booking, just as bad as the Ricochet booking. Sure, he didn't pin these guys, but they buried a legitimate tag team that was getting fan support and they accomplished absolutely nothing by doing so. They could have just had Omos walk out and cut a promo and it would have been the exact same impact. Anyway, Omos said no one can beat him. Bobby Lashley returned for the first time since the Elimination (laughs) Chamber without MVP, by the way. He got huge face chance, looked at the WrestleMania sign. Omos shoved him twice. Lashley knocked him down with a shoulder tackle. Commentary insisted it was the first time Omos had been knocked off his feet. 
I just believe that to be bullshit. Maybe it's true. So I, so I looked, I looked, like I, I looked up as many Omos matches as I could find on YouTube. The title matches them. he was in, he never got knocked off his feet. The, the battle, the battle royal, the, the the tag match, the Commander Aziz match, the Randy Orton match. I didn't find an instance where he got knocked out. Okay, so maybe they're being it, honest about that. I mean, again, could be Baron Corbin three and zero is undefeated technically, but <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so maybe they're honest and I'm wrong, but whatever. Uh, they both pointed at the sign. MVP was shown on the graphic for the match. Only other thing I'll say about this is we really did get a chance to soak in Omas's size here. Lashley is 6'3", yeah. 275, and he looked like a shrimp. He looked like a giant. Compared to Omas. <laughs> Unlike some other low-card things that were thrown onto Mania, a titanic, meaty match like this, Chris, it is fitting as a WrestleMania match. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> I just have to say my word of caution. I really hope they do not put Omas over Lashley. But I do think it's completely plausible that they do that. This is a very tough prediction for me. Because they made such a big deal of Bobby Lashley's return, because Bobby Lashley has been pushed really strong, he just recently beat, quote unquote, Brock Lesnar. He had a really long title reign last year. I think WWE values him too much now as an upper mid-carder main eventer to just put Omos over him. So I'm going to predict Lashley, but I would not be surprised at all if Omos won this match. First off, awesome to see Bobby Lashley back. You know, we, we, we found out he was legitimately hurt. We thought he might not make it to Mania, and that sucked after the guy had been doing a really good job for a year plus now. So awesome to see him back. And I got to say, without the gloves on, without like the wristbands, he looked just meteor like he, he his arms look bigger i right? just seeing it like you take little things away like that and people just look different he looked awesome uh he looked like a child next to omas and i gotta say I've, i i know you've hated it but i i have appreciated what they've done with omas the past two or three weeks before this week because they had him doing very cool feats of strength the commander aziz suplex some of the other stuff he was doing, they were playing to his strengths, which is what you have to do to cover up the weaknesses. That 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 uh, Viking Raiders thing was absolute crap. It was terrible. They didn't even get him to do some of the cool stuff that he'd been doing. But then we get Bobby Lashley here, and yeah, like is this a mania match that you're just throwing out at the last minute? Yeah, but I think it's ultimately going to build to a moment where Bobby Lashley slams Omos like Hulk Hogan slamming Andre the Giant. And that's the big moment. And Bobby Lashley gets the win like that. Um, th they've been building, like like I said, going through all those Omos matches, trying to find if he got knocked down. He's had a lot of matches in the last three months or so. I, I really did not realize it. I've kind of just blocked him out of my mind. So they've done what they could to build Omos up to this point. And I think Lashley doing some sort of slam on him, again, it's a moment. It's like Cesaro slamming Big Show out to win the Under the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. I, I, I think that's ultimately what you're trying to get from this. And uh, my pick is Bobby Lashley. Let's move to the Women's Tag Team Championship. Carmella and Queen Zelina, the champions, defending against Sasha Banks and Naomi. Live for brutality, Liv Morgan and Rhea Ripley. And Natalia and Shayna Baszler in what was referred to on Monday night as a sudden death match. We can talk about that in a moment. On SmackDown, Zelina 
Banks, Rhea Ripley, and Baszler fought in a fatal four-way singles match. Two minutes into the match, all the people outside brawled with the people inside. It's technically a no DQ, so it was silly to do it, but technically legal. Uh, Sasha had bank statement on Zelina. Baszler joined to try to submit her with a wrist grab, so Banks put them in a double bank statement broken by a Ripley dropkick. Baszler countered Riptide into the Kirafuda clutch, uh, but Banks broke it with a backstabber. Zelina then caught her with Code Red. Baszler broke the fall. Ripley cannonballed Baszler off the ring apron. Then Zelina caught her with a Hurricanrana off of it. Zelina celebrated before Sasha locked her in bank statement for the submission win in nine minutes. Not as good as the tag team match last week, but the best match on SmackDown by a mile this past Friday. On Raw, we had Carmella, Queen Zelina, Natalia, and Baszler against Banks, Naomi, uh, Morgan, and Ripley in an eight-women tag team match. Before the match, the champions were bragging when Natalia and Baszler demanded they follow their lead. Banks took a stretch muffler and a heart attack, but Zelina uh, tried to steal the fall with, from her teammates. The faces took turns on Zelina with Riptide winning it for Ripley. It was a fine match, not as good as the four-way on SmackDown. Both of these did serve as perfectly fine like appetizers for the WrestleMania match. I wouldn't say anything was outstanding, but it was a good showcase of the talent on both shows. And for a match, Chris, that was completely thrown together. They created three tag teams out of thin air just to get them all on the show. I will say Sasha Banks and Naomi make sense and have worked well together as a tag team and live for brutality. They're not just a tag team. They're dressing alike and they have a name. They've really come together nicely as a tag team. So a match that when they first booked it, I rolled my eyes and I was like, oh, I can't believe they're just throwing this shit on there. It's stupid. They've actually done a really good job building the teams and creating some interest in this match. Yeah. And I, I gotta I gotta put myself over here real quick first. I uh I I wrote a story about Sasha Banks for the Athletic. It went up today on, on Tuesday. Hope everybody checks it out. And but in that story, I, I mentioned, you know, Sasha Banks is basically a big reason these tag team championships were created. And that year, when they started, I think it was 2019, I think, at the beginning of the year, Sasha Banks had her shoulder dislocated by uh, Ronda Rousey at the end of a match. And she didn't tell anybody, and Bailey had to get her dressed for a make-a-wish because she didn't want to go on the injury because she wanted these tag team championships to exist. And they they mean a lot to her. And yes, you could say Sasha Banks is a star. She main evented WrestleMania last year. How is she just thrown into a tag match here? Obviously, I, Possible they had different plans, Bailey being hurt. There's a lot of things that they probably wanted to do and couldn't do. And the mm -hmm. result is this match, which has a lot of people that we like in it. Like all of almost all of these women, I, I think are good wrestlers, are good workers. We, we we enjoy seeing them. I think throwing them into these tag matches leading into the show takes away the interest of the match itself, because we've all seen them fighting each other now. But yeah, I don't know who's gonna win who did, did you make a pick i didn't make a pick um so i'm like, I'm, like I this can, is I really can see tough them all winning yeah this is tough so i i, can, I don't want to say i can see them all winning because natalia and shana baszler feel super thrown together probably not and it, probably not. so let's go order of elimination so natalia and baszler thrown together carmella and zelina like i guess they could retain them but where's the excitement in doing that and you're putting i mean yeah sure they could pin natalia but is the moment that you want in that match, like Zelina pinning Natalia? No, you want you want a pop. Like if you're going to put mm -hmm. this match on the show, it really does make sense to change the tag team titles. So I have two uh, considerations. One, the first tag team put into the match where maybe that was the only plan from the beginning 
was Sasha Banks and Naomi. However, which was a tag, which was a tag team, remember, thrown together when Sasha just walked into the ring and said, we're tag team partners and we're fighting for the title. Right. It was terrible. <laughs> it, it was terribly thrown together. They had yes. the storyline from Team Bad. that They just refused to even tell to yes. talk. Hey, backstage, what do you what do you think if we teamed up when after the tag team titles like there's so much story they could have told even a little bit of story. They told none. Sasha Sasha has credited Naomi with helping her when she came up to the main roster. There's getting adjusted. There are so many things they could have done there and they didn't do any of it. But again, they were the first team to kind of get into this. Maybe this was never going to be a fatal four-way. Maybe that was the only plan which would say to me, Sasha Banks and Naomi win. However, look, credit where it's due. And I already kind of said it. Liv Morgan and Rhea Ripley are the only ones out of any four of these groups that feels like a team. They have a mm-hmm. name. Liv is dressing like her. They're doing uh, Rhea Ripley's entrance together. Like they're getting along on Twitter and tweeting to each other and the whole thing. So if there's any team that's going to win the titles and be tag team champions, it really should be live for brutality. I also think that there's an opportunity. There's more women on the raw brand. So there's actually the the chance that the, the, the titles can have feuds and matches and things like that. We always talk about the SmackDown women's division being pretty thin. Now, there's certainly the opportunity for Oscar to return and Bailey to return. And I don't know what Lacey Evans' status is, but I'm sure she's out there somewhere. So and call-ups from, from NXT, tag teams from NXT. So there is the ability for them to create a women's tag team division if they want to. But if you're going to, you have to have a champion that's a team. And to me, the only team is Lift for Brutality. So I'm between both face teams. And yes, we're picking a shit ton of faces um, across this whole thing. I, I can't help it. They're all the ones who but make that, sense to win. I, I just got to go with what makes the most is. sense to me. And here, yeah. what makes the most sense to me is live for brutality winning, even though they got the win on the go-home show. Okay, we're going to have different picks finally. finally. I'm going to say Sasha Banks and Naomi, just to be different. We're still I, faces, I though. Really we're still know. all in the faces. They're still faces, but I'm going to pick a different team. And the other part of this is, who among these teams breaks up because someone is going to go for the SmackDown or Raw Women's Championship afterwards? Like, is is Bianca Becky going to keep going? Are we going to do Ronda Charlotte again? At, I assume, I assume oh, Backlash man. is the next one. Or do we get Rhea Ripley versus Ronda, which could be kind of interesting. There, there's a chance to do some some fresh matchups because this women's roster, despite the cuts, is pretty loaded. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, the, the tag team maybe doesn't need to exist because there's not a ton of, of people in it, but... There's still a lot of really talented women in it. So I'm going to say Sasha and Naomi. It's fair enough. A WrestleMania backlash is uh, four or five weeks. It's kind of tough to tell after WrestleMania. So Providence, Rhode Island, May 8th. My mother's birthday, as it turns out. So she won't like that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Raw Tag Team Championship, RK Bro defending against the Street Profits and Alpha Academy. So on Raw, they promoted Profits Academy, didn't have the match. And then they also promoted RK Bro against the Usos in a non-title match between champions as the main event of Raw, which was super random. Um, Orton got the hot tag. Riddle hit a floating bro off the turnbuckles outside. The Street Profits ran in, as I mentioned earlier, to force a disqualification for no reason. Nakamura and Boogs were at ringside, so they evened up the attack. Riddle hit Angelo Dawkins with an RKO and then an assisted RKO 3D style uh, on Montez Ford that Orton hit. The whole segment ended early, so the music cut off. Then the guys realized there was extra time to fill, so they hit two extra RKOs on the Profits. Alpha Academy was nowhere to be found, which didn't make a shred of sense to me. Uh, it was a fine main event for TV, but it did nothing to build either tag team match. 
And it definitely did not feel like a go-home WrestleMania moment in the final segment of the go-home show. I know SmackDown exists, but that's more of a kickoff show. Raw is really the go-home show, as was proven throughout the entire three hours. So the build to this has been fine. I didn't think in this moment it was especially good. In terms of predicting the match, it's very difficult. So what they really should have done, as far as I'm concerned, is had Alpha Academy take the titles into WrestleMania. That way you have a moment where RK-Bro can win and celebrate, and it's a, you know, a huge pop from the crowd and all that type of stuff. Them going in as champion is really less attractive of those two options, but they are going in as champion. Alpha Academy just had and lost the titles. The Street Profits here, they're that factor where it makes me kind of wonder what exactly is WWE going to do? Could they change it? Could they have the Profits beat Alpha Academy where RK-Bro loses but doesn't actually get pinned? It's possible, but I don't know why you would do that if RK-Bro is one of your like top two or three acts in your entire company. You should be putting them over at WrestleMania. So I have to go with RK-Bro retaining the titles again. We're just in this zone where it's all faces winning everything, but I I just have to go with the picks that I think are actually going to happen because I want to be right. And what I think is the most likely scenario coming out of this is RK-Bro winning and retaining the titles, probably by pinning Chad Gable, if we're being honest. Look, I I mean, faces win at WrestleMania. That's that's generally what the show is for. Um, You laid it all out like... The Street Profits part of this is so weird. We talked about it earlier, but like they've been kind of heelish at times throughout this feud because I think everybody knows that RK-Bro is just the more over tag team at at the moment. Um, I'm going to say RK-Bro wins. Alpha Academy takes the pin. And then either after the match or on Monday, I think we get a heel turn from the Profits. And... That leads to an RK Bro Profits feud, perhaps moving forward, because I, I think they could. I, I think they could. Um, I think they could do it. So this would be interesting. This could be a really, really fun match. This could be an absolute banger. I'm really glad Alpha Academy got added to it. They really deserve it. Everything that they've been doing. So um, this is kind of a low key match, really throughout the whole card. But I think it could really uh, over deliver. That is one of the things I left off for my breakdown. This has the potential. It's not going to steal the show on night two because the next two matches we're going to talk about are going to be absolute bangers, both of them. But it does have an opportunity to be one of the best WrestleMania matches across both nights. It can definitely be a sleeper. They just have to give it enough time. This needs to be a 15 to 20 minute match where all these guys just go balls to the wall because there is so much athleticism. There are so many big moments that you could do. And there's just so much great wrestling that's possible when you consider the talent of all six individuals. Yes, including Otis, um, who's yeah, big meaty man, but the guy can go and, and you mm-hmm. need that element sometimes in a match like this. There are so many cool things that they can do. I'm glad this doesn't have a stipulation like a hardcore match or a street fight because it would all be table spots and, and things of that nature. So I'm glad that it's a regular match. But I just think like you want to talk about really getting Riddle over and he is massively over already. But if you really, really want to put him over, this is a spot where he can shine, where you let him get the fall. He, you know, Randy Orton puts him on his shoulders. Like this is an opportunity to give him that ultimate rub. 
The other thing I will mention before we quickly move, you know, I'll mention it quickly before we move on. I did say a few weeks ago that if they did want to stun us and surprise us, this could be a spot where RK Bro loses those titles. And, you know, they've been really going heavy on Randy Orton calling Riddle his best friend and buying into friendship, first person he's ever trusted in the industry, so on and so forth. They could play into RK Bro losing the titles here and Riddle turning heel on Orton. Uh, You know, I know it's something people don't want to consider WWE possibly doing, but as I've said numerous times on this podcast and other shows I've been on, the best way to take a face and make them an even hotter face is to turn them heel and then turn them back. And the idea of Riddle doing that to Orton on a stage like WrestleMania could be absolutely epic. So I think it's going to happen. I think they're going to go with the safe bet and have RK bro just retain the titles. And even if they do it, do it at another time, but it would make for quite a WrestleMania moment, which is very similar to, you know, the whole AJ Styles Shinsuke Nakamura deal. That was a shock to the crowd a couple years mm-hmm. ago. They could shock the crowd and do something with RK bro here. One other thing. Um, let's hope they have three people in the ring at the same time. Please, please do real triple threat rules. Yes. Yes. Oh. WWE is off and on with this. They they sometimes do it. They sometimes every don't. every company is. AEW is as well. Yes. WWE does it more often than not, though. They do. Yes. This absolutely and, 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 needs to be a real triple threat, just to clarify, where there are three legal competitors, one from each team, at any given time. And then the other thing, you we mentioned it, didn't talk about it. The fatal four-way women's tag. Do, do we want four in the ring at one time? Oh, we we absolutely need four in the ring at one time. Do we think they will? Uh, given the fact they just did a fatal four-way, yes, I think they will. Okay. And uh, in, in, yeah, so I, sudden death was weird. I mean, we, it's sudden death and elimination. We know that. So, right. So sudden, yeah. de- sudden death, the only, I did, we did forget to mention that. That's my fault. I'm, I'm leading the show here and I totally missed that. Uh, regarding the sudden death label for the women. Uh, my guess is they wanted to make it very clear that it's not an elimination match. Right. So right. then one fall to a finish. Whoever gets the pinfall or submission wins the match. I wish it was an elimination match. I think that would have been better. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, they did, they did the gauntlet last year and you know, so they, they've, they've done similar stuff before. Yeah. I think a fatal four way where they all start in the ring and there's three falls uh, that makes for a better, more exciting match, but I agree, you know, whatever, it's fine. Uh, so the two big main events on night two WrestleMania Sunday, uh, we know what the biggest one is. That will be last. Let's get to what I consider the co-main event. Edge versus AJ Styles, the dream match on Raw. Edge wore all black this time instead of blue. I have no idea why he changed, uh, saying he could have taken Rollins out again and decided instead to focus on Styles. He said Styles needed him to become relevant again and break out of his funk, and Edge needed Styles to regain his dominance and momentum. Edge said that it would be a match for the ages, and Sunday was his judgment day. This is probably the shortest promo Edge has cut since returning to WWE, but it was powerful. It hit all the right notes. And then Styles backstage said Edge used a lot of cheap words to justify his actions. He said Edge successfully got in his head and it's going to cost him because Styles will deliver. Not much more build was needed, but this did, I think, tie a nice bow on a feud that it's not necessarily intense and storyline driven, but enough was given to us to get us excited for the match. Chris, as far as the match itself and who's going to win, who's going to lose, I don't think there's a wrong booking here. Edge has lost enough recently, especially in title matches, where him losing this, you look at it and you just kind of say, 
okay, he's an older guy. Styles is probably going to wrestle longer than Edge is going forward. It makes sense for Styles to get the win and elevate himself again, by the way, back into the main event picture where he should be. They both should be in the title picture. Again, there's only one title on the line for the men here or, or one match involving championships on the line for the men in the singles competition on this two-night show. So this is another example of them needing to create a match not based around a title. But then I look at it and I kind of say, well, Styles has been in a funk recently. He got out of this Omos feud. Nothing really happened there. It was very lackluster, not to mention the whole tag team. He's kind of just been waiting in shallow water for the last couple of years. Whereas Edge does need a huge moment. He lost at WrestleMania last year. And he may not be the undertaker where he needs to win at Mania, but if you're doing a brand new gimmick for this guy and you're putting him over as a heel, having him lose right away to AJ Styles, to me, doesn't really make any sense. So finally, I am picking a heel. I have Edge beating AJ Styles at WrestleMania. And I do think this is a scenario where we possibly get a two or three month slash pay-per-view feud. Hell in a Cell, I believe, is in June. I would not be surprised if we see a rubber match between Edge and AJ Styles at Hell in a Cell in June. It has to all start with Edge, the heel, winning this match at WrestleMania. That that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've with Edge and his limited bumps, I've always just wanted him to move from opponent to opponent, just next to him, next to him. Like, it, like if he was an AEW, it would just be a new opponent every show that he was wrestling. And I just, I would love to see that, but they just, they haven't done that. They did a lot of Orton matches, they did a lot of Rollins matches. They did two, I think two, was it? Miz matches. So maybe we do get more AJ Styles uh, out of this. And like we said, we need some heels to win somewhere. The build for this match has sucked, honestly. They, they've barely even been in the ring with each other. You know, the, the, the double concerto right off the bat to AJ just AJ missing a few weeks and now Edge just doing spooky promos. There's to me there's not a lot of juice. Like it's Edge versus AJ. I'm going to love it. It's going to be a great match. I can't wait for it. But the actual build to this has kind of been quite lackluster, I I think. I I feel weird that we just we're making the same picks for for all of these. That's, but it's fine. Edge Edge makes sense to win first as a feud that continues on. And I, I think it makes sense for both of them to continue the feud. You know, WrestleMania Backlash, they do a lot of rematches. That's what they did last year. So, yeah, I guess, I, I guess I'm going to pick Edge. All right, so we're on the same page. As we arrive, Chris, at the biggest WrestleMania match of all time, Roman Reigns, the Universal Champion, versus Brock Lesnar, the WWE Champion, in a winner-take-all Championship unification. That is the official title. It's, re- it's redundant, but weird. Of this but match. Sure. So a lot happened here. And we are, of course, wrapping up the show with the biggest match. We'll start with SmackDown. Then we'll go to Raw. Then we'll talk about the match. On SmackDown, Lesnar was backstage outside Reigns' locker room saying he paid fines for last week and bought Reigns a blood red SUV. He said WWE management won't allow him to have physical contact with Reigns unless provoked. So he went in the locker room planted his feet through a coffee table, and waited to be provoked. He later ate grapes and spit out champagne that exploded in his mouth. I think that was unintentional, by the way, that he lifted the champagne bottle and it just all the uh, carbonation got in there and he just had to spit it out. I thought it was really funny. 
Uh, there was a camera in an SUV with Reigns and Heyman. Reigns bragged about enjoying an expensive steak dinner before he took Lesnar out at Madison Square Garden. Then he warned Lesnar to leave or get busted up. Lesnar decided to smash more shit in the room instead. Reigns and Heyman finally arrived, saying Lesnar's in trouble. Reigns made maybe his longest entrance yet, uh, with his music not stopping until nine minutes were left in the show. He said Lesnar better not be in his locker room or he'd put his head through a wall. The Titan Tron showed a trashed room, but no Brock. Lesnar trashed the SUV with a pickaxe. Reigns was unfazed. Then Lesnar entered through the crowd and jumped on the announce booth. Reigns looked shook in that moment. And then security came down and stopped Lesnar. But Brock booted a guy in the chest, trashed a dozen security guards with a chair. The Usos ran in, Reigns scurried off. Lesnar grabbed another chair and wore all the security guards out a second time before chasing McAfee and Michael Cole away for no reason. Uh, and then Reigns in gorilla position to end SmackDown said Lesnar would acknowledge him as the undisputed WWE Universal Champion, which by the way, I called the name of that title. Um, I don't know if that's technically going to be it, but I called that a couple well, of Well, they said ago. it twice. They said it twice. Okay, there you go. So I think that's it. Uh, so we'll talk about Raw and the match in a bit. But Chris, I cannot help but say on Friday night, this was terrible. Lesnar barely did anything yep. in the locker room. Reigns no sold the locker room trashing because guess what? It's not actually his shit. So why should he care <laughs> that he's trashing the locker room? Uh, and then we have Reigns looking like a chicken shit across multiple weeks. This is the tribal chief, the head of the table, the guy who has been built up into the most dominant champion that WWE's had in the last 35 years. I get that Lesnar is Lesnar, but I could not fathom why they would take this guy who's been so confident and booked so strong and make him look so weak in consecutive weeks. It's been very inconsistent. You know, early on with a lot of the Roman Brock stuff, it was the first time we ever saw some fear from Roman, and that was a new aspect to the character. It, it was good. But yeah, these last few weeks have been just kind of, again, they set this match at Elimination Chamber, and they had almost, what, a month and a half, mm -hmm. two months to, to kind of figure out what to do. And there was nothing. There was and, nothing else you could do. And no other title matches they were building because they decided yes. to hamstring themselves and make it a unification match. Right. So, yeah, I didn't, ex you know, I didn't expect to get much. I was hoping to have maybe a pull-apart brawl where the locker room splits them up. That's always kind of a tried-and-true method. It works good on the video package. Um, so, yeah, the build has been kind of, eh. We're still really, really, eh about the title unification part of this, um, which is just, whole other thing so yeah so we get here the biggest match in wrestlemania history is it well let, no. let me let me let me hit the timeout because we still got to yeah. talk about everything that happened on raw oh yeah and, and i do want to get to that topic and i think that's a necessary topic. yes but on raw lesnar opened the show he seemed legitimately excited to do the welcome to monday night raw shtick because he said he's never been able to speak and do it before he had a blast playing along with the crowd during his promo Lesnar said his spoiler was that their titles would get married and have a baby that he would take full custody over at WrestleMania. And as he's saying this, I'm like, man, that's corny. But the crowd popped so huge for that reference. Yep. I was shocked, truly shocked that the crowd loved it. But you can tell that Brock is not comfortable with doing a solo promo in an empty ring. Given that, he did a fantastic job and it was a strong opening to Raw. If I was someone who flipped to that channel, I was going to stay and watch at least a little bit more of that show because Brock captivated me and got me interested in saying it also showed, by the way, that he may not be taking this as seriously 
as Brock Lesnar normally would an opponent of Roman Reigns caliber. And that, to me, was a little interesting twist as we go into predicting the match. Yeah, that, that, that that's a fair point. That's an interesting way. This Again, this has been a different Brock, too, throughout all of this. We, we've never had this kind of Brock. He's doing a good job. He's figuring out. Crowd is really behind him. You know, they, they, they are. They've done a really good job of making Brock Lesnar into the big old baby face. There's no question that Cowboy Brock as a babyface has completely worked and been booked relatively well the character, not the title wins and day one and all that shit. We've talked about that ad nauseum. But the character has been booked very well. Uh, so later in the show, Michael Cole, who joined commentary for Raw, for what reason this week? I have no idea, probably because he knows a little bit more than Jimmy Smith. And that's why. But again, I don't really know. He sung Reigns accolades as he walked to the ring, putting him in real rarefied air with some of the best of all time. Reigns got what chance like Lesnar and said he'll smash the crowd if they keep doing it, just like he would Lesnar or even Steve Austin. Reigns said he's done everything that he needs to do except beat Lesnar at WrestleMania. Reigns recalled uh, Lesnar opening him up bloodwise at WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans and embarrassing him in front of his family, which is true, by the way. Uh, Reigns said he's going to keep taking everything from Lesnar. He already took his advocate. He took his claim as the longest reigning champion in the last 35 years. He took his blood at Madison Square Garden, and now he's going to take his title. Reigns said he's going to make this personal because it's always been personal to him. Now, Chris, this was a go-home promo. Yes. That was a good one, yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. A-plus material, A-plus promo from Roman Reigns. Expert level. More was accomplished with Reigns sharing his motivation and the history of the feud here than the bullshit spectacles that they've been giving us the last couple of weeks. Consider mm-hmm. we did not get a confrontation on Raw and the build on Raw was 10 times better than it was on SmackDown. Think about how the crowd was nearly silent between their stupid what chance because he completely commanded the arena. He is operating yep. on an incredible level right now. It's awesome to see the turnaround. This was probably one of his three or four best promos of his entire career. Both Roman and Kevin Owens did they figure out the perfect way to handle the what chance? You acknowledge them, you let them kind of get it out, and then you change up your cadence when you're talking, and you, people can't get them in, and then they settle down, and then they listen to what you're actually saying. Um, you just you just think about that Roman that we got in that promo, and the one we had three years ago, the one going into WrestleMania 34 against Brock, the one going into WrestleMania 31 against Brock, where they're having a tug of war for the title at the end of it. Just it really just shows how far he's come and why he is one of the best, if not the best in the business uh, all around right now. So yes, that was how you build a, a go home. You, you point back to the last up. This is the promo that's going to be all over the video package, which I can't wait to watch because um, WWE always, kills with those going into mania that would be great so uh great 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 stuff so now chris let's get to your point okay here we are the again biggest wrestlemania match of all time reigns lesnar winner take all championship unification and that is the question is this the biggest wrestlemania match of all time i get the label i understand the stakes of unifying two world heavyweight championships but it certainly doesn't feel like it lives up to the billing. And the reason for me, the biggest issue 
is they are going to unify the titles, which we've already had a very long discussion on this podcast on a prior episode, why that is a bad decision long-term. But I think many members of the audience, myself included, you can speak for yourself in a moment, don't expect WWE to actually keep these titles unified for a long period of time. So basically, it's a really big stipulation that is only going to be meaningful for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, whatever, because a second championship will surely be introduced sooner than later. At least that's what I believe going in. And it does, because of that, dampen the stipulation, which was unnecessary as a stipulation in the first place and actively hurt WrestleMania as a whole because it took away another potential title match and a main event storyline from Raw. Instead, we've been having Kevin Owens debate with someone who's not there and Seth Rollins look for an match and opponent who's not there. So Raw has been empty in that regard, whereas we've had, up until this past Monday, Reigns and Lesnar almost exclusively on SmackDown building for WrestleMania. So is the stipulation big? Yes. Does it deserve the title biggest WrestleMania match of all time? In reality, no. In WWE kayfabe, sure, if they want to say that, I'm not going to argue against it. But the biggest issue for me is it seems like it's a stipulation that's only going to matter for one night. And therefore, yeah. as a viewer, I I was already excited for Reigns-Lesnar. I'd been excited for it. The build was going along just fine. And then really, starting with day one, I'm not going to get into detail, but starting with day one, all the way up until now, it feels like a lot of unnecessary shit happened to try to make the match bigger without actually making it bigger. Yeah, it's just a lot of bells and whistles that that we don't need. You could have just if it was just Brock Lesnar ending the ending the streak of five hundred whatever days of Roman's reign of terror or something like that. Like, yeah. So, is it the biggest match? No. Austin versus John Michaels was the crowning moment for Steve Austin. I think Rock Hogan was maybe the greatest match of all time. I think Daniel Bryan and what that meant was probably even bigger at the time. Uh, you've got uh, Ric Flair's retirement. Uh, there, there's a lot of WrestleMania matches that are just like, those are all-time moments. And is, is this going to be one of them? I don't know. The the Brock-Roman-WrestleMania 31 match is an all-time moment, but it's because Seth Rollins came in and cashed his money in the bank and gave us a surprise ending. The 34 match, I was there... I can't remember a damn thing about it because everybody was going nuts with the beach balls and, and being sick of it. So that's, that's another part. The track record between these two is hit and miss in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's different now that Roman is a, a heel. I, I'm very, very curious as I'm there how the crowd is going to react, especially if this turns into a 25-minute match, um, which probably will. Um, so it's not the biggest of all time. And also, again, comes down to, like, Roman has had this belt for 500-something days. Somebody has to take it from him. Big E's hurt. Is Brock going to be the guy to do it? And is he the right guy to do it? Well, that's the question here. And I, you know, I usually let you go last, or go first, I mean, I'm sorry, on the main event. I will note before you do, though, that their match at WrestleMania 34 was 16 minutes. And while, to me, that is an appropriate amount of time for a big, meaty, Main event, which this certainly is, Reigns and, and Lesnar, no question about it. You know, that one did feel like it dragged. Now, did it feel that way? 
because of the crowd reaction or because it actually did drag. I don't actually know the answer to that because I might go I might go back and watch it. This we week. don't have we, I don't have much to compare it to. And you know what, Chris? It's funny that you said that. I saw it live. I don't know that I've ever seen it on video. I don't know that I've ever watched yeah. it on Peacock WWE Network. So I didn't. it is worth, I agree, going back and rewatching that. I will say this is the most excited, legitimately, I've been for a Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar match because I like each of their characters more than I've ever liked them before when they fought. Mm-hmm. So I am anticipating this match. It's a worthy two-night WrestleMania main event. But ultimately, the question is, who wins? And I'm going to let you go first, and then I will come over the top. This is this is tough. I mean, this is probably tougher than Pat McAfee versus Austin Theory, if we're being honest. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. It, I, I can I can see both. I can see Brock Lesnar is is the biggest face you've got now. He's showing up pretty much every week. Um, presumably, you're going to have your champion on both shows moving forward, and Brock at least temporarily to do that. Yeah. He's he's obviously a a realistic guy who could be the one to dethrone Reigns. It it, it it makes sense. Everybody else has tried. Nobody else has. There's nobody left. There's nobody left, really. Um, Rome, but Roman is the guy you know is going to be there every week. He's the younger guy. He's still your future and your present. Um, and and do you want to give the title back to a part timer? Uh, the 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 main top title to a part timer. Especially when you're only going to have one, at least for a short period of time. Yeah, I. It's real tough. I'm. I, I'm picking Roman Reigns because I think he's more the full time WWE guy, and actually, he's never actually beaten Brock in these WrestleMania main events. Um, he's never beaten Brock, Brock squeaky clean before. Yeah, he, he. There was the cage match once in Saudi Arabia where they think, said Brock like, won, even though Roman actually did win. The, yeah. Then there so was like, the SummerSlam match. I think it was maybe it was SummerSlam where he won the title, but Braun Strowman was there and distracted and all that type of bullshit. Yeah. So Roman Reigns does not have like a true squeaky clean win over Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's Roman. I think it's Roman Reigns. It gets in a larger picture of who, who's going to be the guy to... Well, you give your picture. Well, I, I, I'm picking Roman. Well, that's exactly the problem, what you just kind of yeah. alluded to there. It is our hope with the, this Roman Reigns title reign. I hate... I, that's the one problem with his, with his uh, name and him always being champion, is you always have to say reign a couple times. But that's one of the biggest problems with it, is we were trying to determine, okay, they're building up Roman Reigns into this absolute monster beast heel which we both appreciated and we thought was really good decision by WWE. But it was who's going to take the title from him. And options existed, right? Like they could have changed it to Rollins. They didn't. They could have had Kevin Owens win any of those matches when he was super over during the pandemic era. They didn't. They had that Finn Balor match as the demon where, man, Mm -hmm. if he won that title, talk about strapping a rocket to a guy. Great opportunity for Rollins to win the championship there. They, I mean, uh, Balor, I'm sorry, to win the championship there. They didn't do it. Then, as all that's happening, WWE released a shit ton of people. So we thought, oh, maybe it's Keith Lee, not even with the company anymore. Maybe it's this person. Maybe it's that person. And you come back to it now, and you're like, well, who can they put over by beating Roman Reigns? Because the point of building a monster heel champion to this degree is to eventually put someone over. 
And the truth is, on the roster right now, the only person I can think of, if they turned him face, where it would make a lot of sense to do it, would be Seth Rollins, who, by the way, has a DQ win over Reigns, um, because he refused to break the guillotine. But the other options are all like Drew McIntyre, who would have to get built back up. Or Braun, I think or, Drew, could, Drew could certainly be one. He, he could, but I'm saying he'd have to get built back up into it. Uh, Braun Breaker, if he got called up a year from now, that's another year, let's say, of like him developing himself and becoming ready for that opportunity. Gable Stevenson, if he's a true, um, you know, mastermind, a wonder kid is, is the word I was looking for, not mastermind, where he comes in and he picks it up the same way Kurt Angle did. He's a super over with the fans a year. That's again, another year from now. So it really seems like Brock Lesnar as a face is the only guy where if you want to take the title off Reigns at some point between now and WrestleMania 39, it seems like Brock Lesnar is the only person to do that. Yet, I cannot see a situation where WWE has finally, and by the way, Chris, I did watch the WWE Evil on Roman Reigns because it aired immediately after Raw on Monday night, and I just kept watching it because it was really freaking good, right? Watching that show told me, WWE, and reminded me, I should say, not told me, WWE has been trying to get Roman Reigns over for so long. He's been rejected so many times. It's been failure after failure, even coming back from leukemia. The guy got booed a little bit at WrestleMania against Drew McIntyre when Reigns was the face in that match. And here we are. They finally built him up to this level where he is a monster and he's dominant and they have a chance to crown the first ever technically undisputed WWE slash universal champion in history. That's never happened before. And they're not going to give that to Roman Reigns. They're going to give Brock Lesnar that distinction. I don't see how they do that. So I absolutely have to pick Roman Reigns to become the first whatever it's going to be called, undisputed WWE Universal Champion. Now, there is a potential for this ending mm-hmm. that sets up a WrestleMania 39 match. There is the potential Which that. is in Los Angeles, California. Yep. Which just hosted the Super Bowl. Yep. Which was opened by one Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yep. The cousin of Joe and Y, Roman Reigns. And that would be your big money match. You said it a year ahead of time. Boom. But again, are you going to put The Rock over Roman Reigns? <laughs> That's the same, the and, same question as Brock. And do you, have, the same Brock do you have him keep the title, whether it's unified or yeah. whether it's a solo title, for another yeah. 365 days to then beat right. The Rock and then, not, and then not have anyone else still ready to take the title off Roman? It's tough. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I think there is I think there's a real chance because Austin is night one main event, he gets his moment. I do think there's they, they Jimmy Fallon asked Roman Reigns about it. I do think there's a chance they they give they tell you we're doing rock Roman Reigns at next year. Now that doesn't mean Roman keeps the championship. He could lose it before then. Um you know, John Cena versus The Rock was not a title match. So it it, it could still happen. But I think there's a chance we get we get to Rock Roman Reigns teased at this show. I, I would not be surprised if we saw Rock at the end of the main event, especially if he came. You know what? There's a really good callback too. Um, what was it? The Royal Rumble that Reigns won and Rock came out and raised his arm. Mm-hmm. Is that what, what it was? Mm-hmm. 
yeah. do the exact same thing, but have Reigns clothesline his ass and spear him. Yep. And that sets up WrestleMania a year later. Like, that's all you need. And you don't even need to bring Rock back until January, you know, 2023. And then you're setting up WrestleMania. So in, in every conceivable way, Roman Reigns winning makes the most sense as far as I'm concerned. I, I, the only thing would be is if WWE looks at it and they're like, we have no one who can beat him. We have to put it on Brock. But then right. Reigns eventually right. has to get over on Brock. So then you're doing that at SummerSlam or WrestleMania 20, you know, 40. Like it's, it's never ending. They have to end yeah. Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar for good. And the only way they can do that is by having Reigns win. I agree. I, I agree. And again, you know, it didn't have to be this way. We you didn't have to be title versus title. It didn't even have to be Roman Brock. It could have done a lot of ways, but they want to make this the biggest match in history. And I think they're going to give that to the guy who's got a longer future. No question so. about it, man. No question about it. That is easily Ooh, a lot. Easily our most extensive ultimate preview for any pay-per-view that we've ever done. And we've done multiple WrestleManias before, but we went deep with this WrestleMania 38 ultimate preview. We cannot finish this show though, Chris, without giving our expectation grades for the showcase of the immortals, the granddaddy of them all, the biggest WWE show of the year, WrestleMania. I'm going to let you give your grade first. I just want to say before we do, I got really down on WrestleMania after SmackDown. Raw did elevate my interest again. I think the way we described it last year is, or last week, I'm sorry, is appropriate. It's not a great card. The booking going into WrestleMania was not strong or satisfactory in many cases. That creates a low level of expectation for the show, but it also gives WrestleMania a chance to exceed expectations and over-deliver, which is not something that's usually the case. Usually WrestleMania is built pretty damn strong and it under-delivers because it's very difficult to live up or WWE doesn't change titles or doesn't book it properly. This is really the opposite. I'm going in kind of like not that enthusiastic, but thinking, you know what? This could end up playing out in a way where I'm proud to put it over when we do those ultimate, uh, sorry, the instant analysis on Saturday night and Sunday night. So definitely give your grade, uh, your expectation grade, but I'm kind of curious if you agree with me on that. Yes, and I, I think the two-night part is another factor in this because last year... It was fresh. It was new. We didn't feel burnt out, you know, and that, that gives you a better feeling than a show that's bogged down by three or four matches that you absolutely hate or don't care about um, as part of a seven hour, eight hour event. We could get in and out relatively quickly here, and it, it, that that helps how you feel. I'm going to be there. So that's I'm just I'm, I'm super excited for it. I, I, I you know, we 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 put our expectations low a week ago, but now it's here and now my expectations are high again because it's WrestleMania. And, and just, Chris, that's it, fair. It is what it is. When you attend WrestleMania, <laughs> you get way yeah. more excited than when you watch it at home. Yes. There's no question. Yes. So I, I'm going to say A- minus for excitement um, it, because I... Well, I, no, not, not excitement. Oh, you're saying excitement and then expectations? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That, that's my expectation. Yeah, I, I'm giving it an A- minus okay. expectation because I think this card has a lot of really, really great stuff and a lot of really not great stuff. There's not a lot in the middle. If you had if you had a card that was just Bianca Becky, uh, Usos Nakamura Boogs, Seth versus TBA, Charlotte Ronda Rousey, Austin segment, 
RK Bro Street Profits Alpha Academy, Edge AJ Styles, Brock Roman Reigns. That is an that is an all-time card right there, I mm-hmm. think. But you've got a lot of okay, you got some celebrity Filler. stuff in there, you got a couple matches you really don't care about. So it, it it ends up being kind of a mixed bag there. But I think the top level stuff of this of these two nights, I think there's so much top level stuff in the end. That I'm just going to say A minus. Yeah, so I think with there being so much filler and a lot of that, I believe will ultimately be disappointing. Not not so much under expectation because I don't have high expectations for those celebrity matches or a lot of those things. Um, but with that much extra stuff, and it's not a one night card, it's a two night card, right? So you're splitting up the greatness across both nights, potentially. It's too much for me with no Intercontinental Championship match no United States Championship match as of now, and maybe they do add Finn Balor versus Damian Priest for night two. That would help, absolutely. That'd be a really damn good match. I cannot get in an A range for an expectation grade, even for WrestleMania. So I'm at a flat B. And I think that's a very fair expectation grade because it gives WWE plenty of space to exceed expectations, but it also gives plenty of floor for it to fall below expectations. And that's really it. Like, I don't know that there's much more to say other than that I agree with you. You know, if you look at the card, there's 15 matches on the card. I would say nine of them, four on night one, five on night two, are WrestleMania caliber. They're matches that belong on almost any WrestleMania card. But mm-hmm. that's that leaves, you know, another six that aren't. And when you consider that two main titles aren't being defended on the show, there's only one world championship match, despite there being two world championships. It's very tough for me to get into that A range. But I also think at the same time, just to be fair, a lot of people are downplaying this WrestleMania. They're saying Mm -hmm. it's been, it's absolutely terrible. There's no matches I'm excited to see. I cannot buy that for a second. You may not love the build and I do not love the build, but to suggest there's not multiple matches on this card that are exciting to see or could deliver or be four or five star caliber matches. That's just incorrect. Like I, I'm not going to accept that as an opinion. Yeah, I, I'm definitely biased because I'm going to be there, and I, it's it, it's fun when you go. This is the only second time I've gone. By the way, if I, if anybody wants to to reach out, shoot me a Twitter DM while you're at the show. I'll try to see. I might be kind of busy, but I'll try to respond to you if I can. Maybe catch up and say hi in person to anybody who listens to the show and listened all the way to the end of this podcast, which. Uh, Kudos, thank you. Uh, if you did, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it's. I, I think the way the show's end is going to be important too. Last year we ended with Sasha, uh, Sasha Bianca, and then we ended with um, Roman, and it was kind of a, a cool way to end both nights. The way you end impacts everything. That WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans that you and I went to, mm-hmm. first half of that show, elite. Yep. Thought it might be one of the better manias of all time. Second half fell off. Main event, people forgot about it. You're going to end night one with Steve Austin. You're going to end night two uh, with with a big, big money match people are into, maybe with The Rock. I think the way it ends, that night two, is going to impact ultimately, I think, how people ultimately feel about and remember the show. But wait, not just 34. 35 ended with a dud too because it was the kind of mm-hmm. botched finish with Becky Lynch winning the title. It was also at like, one, like yes. 12.30, 1 a.m., super late. So WWE did repair that last year successfully. They ensured that the final moment on both nights was big and exciting and and you left the show feeling that your night was paid off with an exciting match, with a good finish. Even though Roman Reigns was a heel in one, that match was an absolute banger with Daniel Bryan and Edge. 
And I think that's the same thing. If they put on a great match, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, and Reigns will get booed because guess what? He's supposed to get booed this time. And Brock's going to get cheered because guess what? Brock's supposed to get cheered this time, right? That, that automatically corrects a lot of the problems that existed in the prior Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar matches. No one's ever said those matches were not entertaining in terms of the wrestling, the action, uh, the meatiness of the entire thing. So I do agree with you. They have an opportunity to end both nights on high notes that maybe even makes us think the show was better than it actually was in totality. Yep. How, how, you, how you close is big. How Very you close important. is big. Re- really quick. Including how, we clo- including how we close this podcast. Really quick since you're going to be there, night one or night two, which one are you looking forward to more? Or which I, one do you think is a stronger night, card, I should say? Night two is obviously a stronger card, but night one's going to have Stokel Steve Austin. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and that's Seth Rollins and Cody. And Seth Rollins and Cody. So like night one might, night one will, Night one might have more moments. It might have the bigger moments of the weekend. I will say, despite them putting so much emphasis on Reigns-Lesnar, they did a pretty nice job splitting up the matches across both shows. But again, it does feel like it's... If you could replace a couple of those low-card matches with higher-stakes matches, I really think that this entire card would be perceived differently. Um, But Chris, look, that is the end of our WWE WrestleMania 38 Ultimate preview. I know this was a long show. It's the longest one we've ever done. I appreciate everyone sticking with us. Really quick, I'm going to run down the schedule for the rest of the week. Wednesday, NXT Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview. Thursday, AEW show. Friday, a potential interview show to be determined, not scheduled as of right now. Saturday, WrestleMania 38, night one instant analysis. As soon as that show goes off the air. Sunday, WrestleMania 38, night two instant analysis. As soon as that show goes off the air and one week from now on Tuesday, we will talk the Raw after WrestleMania and the WWE Hall of Fame. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only so you can participate in all of our pre-show and post-show polls, you're going to be able to give grades just like Chris and I did, but also so you can join our live Twitter spaces ahead of WrestleMania night one and night two. Again, follow us at Getting Overcast. We will send out reminders for those live shows. You guys not only get to listen in, you get to join. You can ask questions, share your comments and thoughts on WrestleMania. Chris, we're going to figure out the schedule. We got to see how much time you have. Maybe because it is WrestleMania, maybe we'll do longer than 30 minute shows. Maybe we'll do 45 or an hour, but it has to work for Chris. Obviously he's going to be traveling. And if it doesn't work for him, maybe I'll see if there's someone else who can step in as well. But we will have those live WrestleMania night one and night two pre-shows on Twitter spaces. Don't forget to follow us at Getting Overcast. And it would not be an episode of Getting Over if I did not end by reminding you that this podcast is So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit that five star. Do not forget to leave a five star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show, why they should subscribe, why they should listen to us every week. And if you're a first-time listener, then kudos to you for sitting through a three-hour episode on this. The first ever time that you've listened to this podcast. Our episodes are normally not this long. The longest is usually about half this time. Uh, But I appreciate it. It is WrestleMania season. It is the most important time of the year, especially for WWE. It is the granddaddy of them all. It is the showcase of the Immortals. And this time around for 2022, I guess it's also going to be stupendous. So with that, I will leave you for today with just three final words. Bye for now.